Hurl steals, cutting in, shoots, scores! They've slayed the dragon! Daniel. Henrik. Back for Daniel. Let's it go, he scores! Ten seconds left in the power play. Here's Hughes, top the point, shoots and scores! Come on without, come on within. You've not seen nothing like the mighty Quinn. Back to Pedersen. Can't find a lane, wants to shoot, goes back to Miller, side of the goal, then to the line for Hughes. Hughes back to Pedersen, wanted a one-timer, pass was in his skates, he settles it down, throws it to the goal, stopped by Bebo, we know they score! It's Brock Besser at the side of the net! Pedersen's released from the box, Vancouver's back to even strength, but the Blue Jackets still have it in the zone, Boone Jenner with a pass through the middle, goes all the way down the ice, here's Pedersen after him, he's got a chance at a breakaway, Pedersen in clean, is tripped by Murray, but he scores! It puts the puck into the back of the net. You're listening to Sportsnet Tonight with Raja Shergill and Josh Elliott-Wolf. Now here are your hosts, Raja and Josh. Seven oh three. What's up, Vancouver? Hope you guys are doing well. Raja Shergill with you. Josh Elliott-Wolf alongside me. Producer Joel Gaudet is here as well. It is a training camp edition of Sportsnet tonight here on the official home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Share your thoughts with us over the course of the show with you until 10 o'clock today. Dunbar Lumber, the smart alternative. Visit Dunbar Lumber on Bridge Street in Ladner or Arbutus in Vancouver online at DunbarLumber.com. Give us a call as well, 604-280-0650. Josh, we're back. It's been a while. It's been a while. How you been? I've been good. We've talked since we last talked. We, yes. However, we have not talked on these airwaves. True. And we have not talked and done this show while being literally in the same room with each other. Usually you're on the other side of the glass. So a little bit, a better atmosphere, I think, now that, you know, we're right next to each other. Yeah, I appreciate Joel Gaudet stepping in, being the producer, because, yeah, it's it's underratedly tough to host and produce at the same time. The press it's buttons, not that tough, actually. Pressing but. buttons and... I like to make it sound tougher than it is yeah, because it's a big job. You're you're a producer. You're not the executive producer like Canberra. No, executive you, producer slash step in boss yeah, at times. Yeah, interim PD, interim yeah. head coach, if you will. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it is Sportsnet tonight. Uh, obviously, lots going on. We'll talk uh, hockey. We'll talk Canucks throughout the the you know most of the show. But we will also get to some NFL discussion as well. The Thursday night game goes. Tomorrow, obviously, something that I'm very excited about, just having football back in general, especially on Sundays, being able to sit on the couch. We talked about this last time. You know, having that fall weather back, waking up at, you know, 9.30, 10 a.m. and just watching a whole slate of football games. I love it. And now we have hockey to actually talk about as well. So It's the best time of the year. It is the best and time And, like, of the year. if you're a baseball fan like I am, Blue yeah. Jays, well, whatever team you're a fan of. Sure. Uh, playoff race coming down to the wire. It's a good time to be a sports fan. And, yeah, oh, man. Football being back and raining on Sunday, like it was this past Sunday, I believe. It's like it's the best feeling when you know that you can't really do anything anyway, so you just kind of have to stay inside <laughs> and watch football. Yeah, it's yeah exactly. And uh, you know what? A lot of uh, Canucks talk coming up throughout the show as well. Chris Faber is going to join us at the bottom of the hour at seven thirty from the Canucks Conversation Podcast, Canucks Army, and of course our very own. Here at Sports 650, we'll talk some prospects with them, some camp battles as well. Uh, at 8.30, Bick Nazar will also join us as well. You can hear him on this station 
every day. Uh, he'll give us some of his time at 8.30. But we will start this show off, Josh, by giving you or by asking the five most pressing questions in the world of sports. It is the five W's. Here are today's five W's. Who? Producer Joel, will you read us our five W's, please, as we start with the question of who? All right, guys. So who intrigues you the most at Canucks training camp? I'm going to start. I'm going to say Jack Rathbone. You heard him on the station a couple hours ago, hour and a half ago, with the People Show talking to Satyar Shah, Damri Chio, Randy Chanda, just kind of about what he expects from himself this season, the competition that's going to be happening between him and a couple other defensemen at Canucks training camp, and whether or not he might be the guy to step out and take over that number six, number five defenseman role on the bottom pair, probably with Tyler Myers. And so, to me, if he can emerge and be an NHL talent and a legit one, that would be huge for the Canucks. And I'm not expecting him to be a top four guy right away, but he does have the potential to grow into that. And there are already there's already enough question marks on the Canucks defense. You look at Quinn Hughes. I mean, you don't question what he can provide offensively, but defensively, he, he's still learning. He's still growing. OEL, who knows what we'll see from him. I hope there's a bounce back, but it's, it's going to be a bit of an uphill climb. So the Canucks would really like if another defenseman on the left side could be a little more stable and at least just provide some solid minutes on the bottom pair. There's a lot of intriguing storylines coming out of Canucks camp this year. It's unlike any other year, it seems like, where you are always talking about rookies, I guess, with this Vancouver Canucks team over the years. Obviously, it's been the Brock Bessers, the Quinn Hughes, the Elias Pettersons of the world. And there is another rookie this year as well. It's Vasily Colson. And that's not necessarily something that, not that I'm not intrigued by it, but I just don't think it's the most intriguing storyline because I think a lot of people are excited to see what Pod Colson does. But to me, it definitely is the what 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 you just mentioned it's that third pair left defenseman spot and and you're saying that it's Jack Rathbone that intrigues you to me Josh it's it's Brad Hunt and I don't know if he gets the love necessarily that a lot of people uh, think you know like he has he is a guy that isn't an American Hockey League defenseman I think when the Canucks signed him a lot of people had this thought that he is going to go right down to Abbotsford and he'll be able to fit in nicely on that American Hockey League team. However, I don't know if that's the case. This is a player that hasn't played in the AHL since 2017 and a guy that just a couple of seasons ago was able to pick up about 20 points when he was playing for the Minnesota Wild, a guy that's had great advanced metrics over the years, a player who I personally, over the last number of seasons, have actually compared to him to a guy that played here in Vancouver, another local boy, of Troy Stetcher, and I don't know if people are going to say that that's a crazy comparison, but I think that they play a very a similar style of game. That's the kind of player that I think of in Brad Hunt, and to me, that is intriguing to say that on this blue line of the Vancouver Canucks that does feature, as you mentioned, so many question marks, Josh, Brad Hunt, I think, is a player that you that brings you that stability factor that I think that people are, are undervaluing that he could do could that he could bring and for me Brad Hunt and that third pair is all about is the biggest storyline that intrigues me at Canucks training camp what 
Okay, so what was the main thing that you took away from Jim Benning's comments today? I got a clip here, but also I'm going to say Pedersen and Hughes may not be that far away from signing. Take a listen. We've been, you know, right from the start of negotiations, we understand how important these players are to the future of our franchise. And, um, you know, we, we don't take that lightly. And, and, you know, and Pat's got a job to do, you know, for the players. So, um, you know, we'll continue to talk till we get to common ground and, and, and then get these guys signed. That was from the People Show earlier today. We'll replay a bit of that later as well and probably go through a few clips throughout the show because whenever Benning speaks, it's nice to hear from him and kind of dissect what he had to say. But that's a really good sign. That And, and look, I know Benning's going to come out and he's going to say, hey, everything's all good. Don't worry. We're, we're, we're going to sign Pedersen and Hughes. They'll be here for the start of the season. He's not going to come out and say, man, things are they're going a little rough. <laughs> I don't know if he's, they're going to be here. <laughs> Uh, but could you imagine the panic? <laughs> oh, like man. there's already enough of it. He's just like, I, I'm going to be straight up with you guys. It, <laughs> yeah, I don't know if it's going to work out. <laughs> uh, but that's a really good sign that at least talks do seem to be trending in the right direction. And the way I always approach these conversations when a GM or an agent speaks is yes, they're going to say what benefits their client or their side. But also, you don't really have that much other information to go off of. And from what the insiders have been saying as well is, hey, they might be at a bit of a stalemate, but they're really not that far away. And now, eventually, these contracts are going to come out and we're going to be able to pick apart what they mean, whether it's short-term or long-term. But what I took away from those comments and why it was the main takeaway for me is that they just don't really seem to be that far away from getting a deal done. And I, and I think that Benning a little bit downplayed the fact that he also mentioned, you know, he was asked on the People Show earlier about the comparables of, of Kirill Kaprizov and the Rasmus Stalin deal to Quinn Hughes and Elias Pedersen. And I think he kind of downplayed a little bit of, of how important those comparables are, at least in my eyes. That being said, though, the fact that Darlene is done and Kaprizov is done and all of these contracts that we talked about earlier with the RFAs are now starting to get figured out also is a very good sign and now there is only a couple players there's only three really left it's it's Brady Kachuk out in Ottawa it's uh Vancouver Canucks is Elias Pettersson and Quinn Hughes and you know every other as I mentioned RFA they figured their deal out now, it's understandable why you can say that Benning thinks that these contracts are getting closer because we're already seeing it across the entire National Hockey League. And obviously, as training camp begins to go deeper and deeper and we get closer to that preseason as well, and then eventually the regular season, now's the time to really start making these strides. I was never really worried, and I know we're going to talk about this in the next question, about being worried about these Contract. I was never really worried about that in the first place. But the fact that Benning does say that they're getting closer, I think, to me at least tells me that it's not a real surprise that I would have expected it by now. And it just sort of confirms the fact that everything else that we're seeing around the National Hockey League is also happening. When? When do you start worrying about the Pedersen and Hughes contracts. As I just mentioned, I'm not worried. And I was never worried, and I wouldn't worry if I'm a Canucks fan. Like, these contracts are going to figure themselves out. Jim Benning mentioned that 
it's very complex to negotiate these deals and it's made even more complex when they get when they go out and purposely get the exact same agent right like this is all thought about by Pedersen and Hughes in to try and make this the absolute best negotiations possible and for them to get the best deal for them and that makes sense and now the Canucks are are going to try and you know have to pay up listen a lot of people were upset at the fact that the Canucks gave money to where they shouldn't have and I'm looking at that Tanner Pearson contract and and saying is that something that you really should have made a priority especially at that time to get done and that's, I think, worried some Canucks fans as to how long these deals might be. The term on these deals, that you won't get the absolute maximum of eight years for your young superstars. That being said, though, that's a completely different thing to worry about. When it comes to actually getting the deals done, I'm not worried. Am I, am I worried a little bit about the term, about the money, about the amount of UFA years, etc. that you might buy? Perhaps a little. But when it comes to actually signing the deals, I'm not necessarily worried at all. I've got a specific date. For when I start to worry. Ah. It's October 6th, which happens to be an exact week before the regular season starts. That also gives a couple games, a couple preseason games, I believe, maybe just one preseason game, if they're able to get into the lineup that quickly. But after that date is when I start to worry, because after that date, you kind of start looking towards the regular season. You know who's going to be on the main roster, where things are kind of slotting in the lineup. And if Pedersen and Hughes aren't factoring into that yet, you start to worry a little bit. And also on top of that, how long is it going to take for them to get up to game speed? And Brock Besser has talked about it a little bit in his uh, camp interviews, just being like, hey, yeah, it was, a, it was a little bit tough that year trying to get back up to game speed. And it took me a little bit of time. And when you're the Canucks and you have your two best players that aren't signed yet and you're trying to make the playoffs this year, you need them to be ready to go off the hop, especially when you're going on a six-game road trip to start the season. And that's obviously not going to make or break anything, but you kind of want at least to go 500 on that road trip, if not better. And that's going to be a pretty uphill climb if you don't have your two best players. Uh, before we get to the next question, I want to get a couple texts in. Both are unsigned. One response to the first question, are you kidding me? You set the bar low for who, who might be the most intriguing player to watch coming out of training camp. You set the bar low, Pod Colson, OEL, and Garland. They will be the most fun players to watch. Yeah, we were kind of looking for under the radar But also, picks. that wasn't the question. I think the question was, what are the most intriguing storylines? Yeah, and we kind of know what to expect from Pod Colson. Like, he'll be fun to watch, but he's not really a storyline. He's probably just going to make the team. OEL and Garland, they're going to make the team. Just depends on how good they are. And and that's not the OEL and Garland thing. Like, I think OEL's a storyline in the fact that we'll see what he does in the regular season. In training camp, he's not a storyline necessarily. Like, he's not yeah. going to be like, oh, you suck in training camp or you're really good in training camp. Yeah, right? Exactly. It doesn't really matter. But when it comes to him, his game and, and the actual regular season starts, then you see him struggling or doing really good. That's actually a storyline. I think that's what a lot of people are worried about. When it comes to who plays and actually makes the team, I think that third pair, that left side and that third pair is, is extremely important for the Canucks and, and who's going to play there, whether it's Yolevi, Rathbone, or Brad Hunt. Is this a storyline? What Another unsigned text. What are your thoughts on OEL wearing number 23? <laughs> That's, that is not a storyline. But you know what, though? 
as soon as he wore it, I knew we were going to get these texts, and, we, and I knew that they were going to get this sort of outpouring of emotion from Canucks fans. That's not a storyline. Edler Kandlick, he was he's the best defenseman in franchise history so far. He's not getting his number retired. No. Like, it's a low bar for Canucks defensemen. I know Matias Olin was great, Sammy Salo, Ed Jovanovsky. I'm kind of just naming 2000s defensemen right now. Sure. Uh, but Edler, in my opinion, has been the best career-wise so far as a Canuck, and maybe Hughes passes him. But that being said, like, the number isn't off limits. He probably talk to OEL and they were like, yeah, I don't really even, care. But even if he didn't, yeah, he doesn't, doesn't really need, matter. He doesn't need to talk to OEL. Yeah. Like it's it's a number that Ekman Larson has wore his entire career with the Arizona Coyotes. He was a captain of that team. And it just so happens that the best defenseman, which I agree with you, and Alex Edler is in Canucks history, happens to wear number twenty three. And OEL's not gonna switch his number to thirty two or something because it's not a retired That's a number. It's a goalie number, first off. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's not a retired number. It will never be a retired number. It will probably go into the ring of honor, but that doesn't mean that the number is off limits. Definitely. It's, you can definitely wear the number. It's completely fine. Why? Why does Vasily Podkolzin belong in the top six? I think he belongs in the top six, and we're talking about right off the bat. Right off the bat, out of training camp. Right. And the reason I believe he belongs in the top six, and this might be bold, I don't know, uh, is that he would fit so well with Bo Horvat. And I think people have kind of been salivating at it, at the fact that, hey, maybe Pod Colson will be the perfect winger for Bo, for Bo Horvat. And the reason I say Pod Colson would be on Horvat's wing is because I think Hoaglander might start the season in on the first line. Wow. Not the third line. I think they might shake it up to start the season, maybe have Miller drop down. Not that I think he deserves to be dropped down. I just know that Travis Green likes to play with his lines, and I wouldn't be shocked if they start a little bit weird and then eventually revert back to the lotto line. But that being said, Pod Colson, from everything we've heard, looks like he's going to turn heads and be a big game performer for the Canucks. And so if he comes into camp and he shows like, hey, I'm in game shape, I'm ready to go, Put me on Bo Horvat's line, and I can. He's he's also more of a playmaker, and I think Horvat has been missing that playmaking ability. Hoaglander brought it a bit last year, but if Pod Colson can set up Bo Horvat for maybe a, a 30 goal season, 25 30 goal season, that would be huge for the Canucks. And I look, I'm not going to be surprised when Pod Colson starts the year on the third line. Or maybe even on the fourth, we know Travis Green likes to bring his players in slowly when they're rookies. But I think he might earn himself a spot to get a look in the top six earlier than we think. Yeah, does he belong in the top six? I'm not sure. I wouldn't necessarily say that he definitely belongs in the top six. I just think that it's not that he doesn't belong. It's that we've been through this before, right? Travis Green, as you just mentioned, Josh, he doesn't award necessarily ice time players have to earn their ice time and just because fans and media like us are are going to be clamoring for it he's going to have to see how pod colson plays out in the bottom six i'd probably uh, and, and see how he does before he makes that transition to the top six we've seen this a lot of times before with brock besser Remember how he was scratched in oh the first two games of the regular season? And then every, <laughs> everybody... I mean, it did end up looking a little bad. But, I mean, he had a great season regardless. Exactly. And, look, we've seen that with Quinn Hughes and PP1. Right? And, and look, the list goes on. We've seen it with Adam Goddett as well. We've seen it go the other way when players haven't really 
been all that great like Ole Olevi. Remember all the sheltered minutes we saw from him last year? Is there anything to suggest that we're not going to see more sheltered minutes from Yulevi this year? Right? He's going to have to earn it. And I think the same thing goes for a player like Pod Colson. He's definitely going to have to earn it. And it's kind of an approach that I don't think we can we can really criticize. Can we? Like, under the watch of Green, he has put three Calder nominees. And Almost pretty, four. And a pretty good rookie last year in Hoaglander. Yeah. Right? So... It's not anything in my eyes that we could criticize, although, you know, it, it, like you mentioned, with Brock Besser, it, it looked a little stupid because of how well he played. With Quinn Hughes, it looked a little stupid because of how offensively gifted he is. That and being I think, said, I think that might have been on, like, Newell Brown a little bit too, and Green just kind of took the blow for that. But, but regardless, he wasn't there. And Yeah, and I don't mean to say it looked stupid in, in the sense that it was a dumb decision, but it's just, like... Green realizes how good these players are. It's not that he doesn't realize it, and then all of a sudden he like has an awakening and goes like, "Holy crap! I got to put this guy in the top, top pair or whatever." Wait a second, <laughs> this Quinn Hughes guy is pretty good. Yeah, like he knows. He, he's just easing them into the NHL, giving them that transition. So let's be patient. The style in which Pod Colson plays is a great fit for the North American NHL game. It's the way like the it's the way that Green likes to play as well. So Pod Colson, in my eyes, he's in pretty good hands. Where? Okay, last up, where will the Canucks finish in the Pacific Division? I'm going to say third, and that might be hopeful. I've talked to a lot of my buddies and and colleagues, maybe not colleagues. I've talked to a lot of people, and they don't really have the Canucks finishing in the playoffs and maybe other teams that you might not think finishing above them. But to me, I would have them finishing third, and Vegas is the obvious juggernaut. Nobody's going to beat Vegas. They are better than everybody in this division, unless they completely implode. And then past that, you get Edmonton. They're probably in second for me. Their goaltending is the main question. Mike Smith might just fall apart, and that wouldn't be all that surprising. But that being said, like McDavid and Dreisaitl are going to outscore their problems most of the season. I do think they're going to be exposed again come the playoffs, especially if Mike Smith is still their goaltender at you that time. You don't think Duncan Keith will help? <laughs> Not even a little bit. <laughs> Like, Duncan Keith, man, I just don't, I don't think he's got a lot left, and I think they're going to overplay him way too much. But regardless, he like they're going to finish second. And then past that is where the Canucks, the Flames, the Kraken, some people have the Kings in this conversation. The Kraken, to me, have a good defense. Past that, their goaltending's okay as well. I, I still wonder how Grubauer will fare outside of Colorado just because their team was so good last year. But regardless, I don't think Seattle's going to make the playoffs. The Kings, I think, are still a couple years away. And the Flames are probably the most direct competition. But I just think the Canucks have the, the top-end talent to get a little bit past them in the standings. And so I got them finishing third and the Flames just outside and fourth, probably not in a wild card. Before the season started last year, we did the five W's. And we had a very similar question, and it was something. I don't want to talk about. It. it was something like, which team is going to finish last in the Canadian division? And I didn't say it was going to be the Canucks, but what I did say is that it was not going to be the Ottawa Senators. A team is going to completely blow up, have a terrible season, and you know they're going to finish a lot lower than what they're expected to do. And what do you know? It happened to be the Vancouver Canucks. You jinxed it. I'm going to go the opposite on this one. They're hot, finishing first. Hot take alert. Dare I say it? The Canucks are going to finish first in the Pacific what? Division? What? 
listen, it's probably not going to happen. <laughs> I don't expect it to happen. If you, but what it. I am going to say, what I am going to say, is that you, I don't think that we should be declaring Vegas the favorite in this division. I think what the Canucks did this offseason with the goaltending of Yaroslav Halak and Thatcher Demko. Obviously, a lot of questions on this blue line. I think that they have the ability to definitely finish in the playoffs. And also, maybe, maybe, depending on how great of a season this is and what happens with Vegas, this is a team that might be able to finish on top of the division. That being said, though, this is more an indictment in my eyes to the Vegas Golden Knights because I just don't think that this is a team that's, like, way better than every other team in this division. Yeah, they're a good team. I like them. They obviously are on paper the best team, but I still think that there's an opportunity there for other teams to try and overtake them, especially if they don't get the season that I think a lot of people are expecting. So not that I think the Canucks will finish first. I can say the same thing about the Calgary Flames as well. I think a lot of people have said that they can see Seattle having better a better season than a lot of people are expecting. So I think it's going to be a little bit of a wild card season, no pun intended, with this Vancouver Canucks team, with the Vegas Golden Knights as well in this Pacific Division. It's going to be fun. There's not a whole lot of good teams, but I do think that the Canucks are going to be a playoff team. I'm not going to say exactly where they'll finish, but my hot take, I don't think Vegas finishes first. I will find Zdeno Chara. And I will take a picture worse than the Riccio picture with him if the Canucks finish first. I don't know how I'm going to make it happen, but I'll make it happen. You can find him on the island. Somewhere. Somewhere on the island. That's the five W's. That's the first segment. Coming up next, we've got Chris Faber of Canucks Conversation Podcast, of Canucks Army, and of course, our very own here at Sportsnet 650. We will continue talking about your Vancouver Canucks. We'll answer some of your texts as well. And continue this conversation about training camp and what are some of the most intriguing battles at training camp. It's Roger Shurgill with Josh Elliott Wolf. You're listening to Sportsnet tonight on the official home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650. You're listening to Sportsnet tonight with Roger Shurgill and Josh Elliott Wolf. Now here are your hosts, Roger and Josh. Welcome back. It is Sportsnet tonight. Roger Shurgill with you, Josh Elliott Wolf as well. I'm just bopping along. You are. This is a reportedly a Faber-approved track, ah. according to producer Joel Gaudet. And you know what? Good taste. Yeah, it's all right. Okay. <laughs> it's all right. Chris Faber is going to join us. So that's why we've got the the theme music of choice, I guess, for uh, Chris Faber coming up by uh, momentarily from the Canucks Conversation podcast, Canucks Army, and of course our very own here at Sportsnet 650 as well. A uh, couple of texts to read. We got some. Also, feel free to text in your uh, your questions for Faber. Sure. If there's a specific prospect you want to hear about, anything um, happening at training camp that you think he has some great intel on, send it to the 650-650 Dunbar Lumber text line. 650-650, the Dunbar Lumber text line. The Pacific Division will be Vegas, Seattle, L.A., Edmonton, San Jose, Anaheim, Calgary, Vancouver, Fire Jim Benning. <laughs> That's a run-on <laughs> sentence right there. It is. And... It's unsigned, unless his name is Jim Benning. (laughs) Exactly. Jim Benning is just predicting that his team is going to finish last. Nowhere to go but up, apparently. Um, So, listen, like we talked earlier in this first segment about Brad Hunt and this this third pair uh, of the Vancouver Canucks and and what is the most intriguing camp. I will ask Chris Faber that as well. A lot of people, 
you know, maybe I underestimated how many people were excited about Brad Hunt. I never thought a lot of people were, because I think people thought that he was going to be an American Hockey League defenseman. In my eyes, he's an NHL-caliber D-man. But there's a lot of people online that have believed in Brad Hunt a lot. So who are some of the guys that Canucks fans have haven't believed in what am I trying to go here? Okay. Canucks fans <laughs> haven't are... believed in any player as much as Brad Hunt. Since blank. So how who was the last player that you as a Canuck fan believed in as much as you believe in Brad Hunt? I think Brad Hunt is a great defenseman, a guy that is going to do a, a lot of good things. So I'll start off this one. I'll say Cole Castles. That's a good pick. I will save mine for after. Chris Faber. Cole Castles is a guy that a lot of people were excited about. Remember, he, was, he shut down Connor McDavid, the third-line center. Memorial Cup champion. The great player that is going to be on the third line for the Canucks for a long time. It's Jason Dickinson. It's it's not Cole Castles. But joining us now, he is Chris Faber from the Canucks Conversation Podcast, Canucks Army, and of course our very own here at Sports.650 as well. Chris, what's going on, man? How are you? I'm good, boys. Let me give you mine then, uh, since we're going to get to Josh's after. A fellow number 77, Nikolai Goldobin, who got thrown out of a KHL <laughs> team today for kicking a guy with the bottom of his skate today. Whoa. With the bottom of his skate? I saw that. That is, that's dirty. Oh, I missed this. Was it like, was the guy hurt or was it? He kind of, uh, sort of a dirty hit putting Goldie into the boards and then they kind of were all mangled up. But yeah, you don't, uh, you don't lead with the skate blade. Uh, in a hockey game, no matter how tough people wanted Nikolai Goldobin to be when he was here. That was a little bit of uh, crossing the line a little bit yeah, there today. Yeah, definitely crossing the line a little bit. Uh, so, man, you get to watch all of these uh, the Canucks players in Abbey. How how was Abbotsford? Is, is this your first time in Abbey? Uh, I was out to Castle Fun Park to kind of, like, feel out the area. Went out there with quads and harm to do uh, – yeah. we wanted some Abbotsford hype and, like, I don't – think there's another place to go in Abbotsford aside from Castle Fun Park well, for the hype. So have you, have you heard about uh, Cactus Club? Well, we'll be there on Friday night. So <laughs> come by. Uh, but no, I mean, like, it was fun. We, I think our hands are still sore from using those horrible bats uh, in the batting cages there. I know Harmon was struggling. Uh, but seeing that kid swing, man, I she tell you, for a guy who played cricket, he had, uh, he had quite the little ball swing. I was uh, impressed by Harmon there. Definitely. You know what? He, he probably did a better job than I ever could. Um, so man, obviously Canucks training camp underway now, uh, or it really gets going tomorrow. But when you, when you look at all of these storylines happening throughout camp, what's the biggest storyline that intrigues you the most? Hey, I'm just going to skip right over the contract talk. Cause I don't want to continue on the conversation yeah. about that. That's the big story, but, um, you know, coming off of the contract situation, I think this really opens up the door for the battle that kind of the one that everyone's been excited for between Rathbone and Yulevi and Brad Hunt, if you don't have Quinn Hughes there, I think this is a huge opportunity for Rathbone to kind of prove what he's like. He's a similar player to Quinn Hughes, and I think he might even just be playing with Travis Hamannick to start camp, and that's about the best spot that you could have to be in for Jack Rathbone. And, you know, saying that, I think that also opens the door for Yulevi to be playing with a guy like Tyler Myers because that's a stylistic good fit between those two players. You've got the defensive guy in Yulevi. You got the offensive guy in Myers. It's going to be kind of fun to watch that play out, and it almost helps both of their cause because they're both put into a perfect spot to to kind of showcase their their strengths and their best abilities with the pairings that they're going to be put on at camp. And so, 
Is there, let's say Quinn Hughes comes back and he assumes the top pairing role, Oliver ekman Larson on the second pair. Is there one of those three, Brad Hunt, Jack Rathbone, Ole Levy, that you would prefer to see? I think I know the answer, but that you would prefer to see coming out of camp on that third pair for night one. Yeah, it's, you know, it's really going to depend on how Ole Levy looks. And I don't think it's going to take very long for us to tell. I think literally day one of training camp, I think we're going to know if Ulevi's skating has improved or not. And that's going to be a big thing. Another healthy offseason is so big for Ulevi. I've I've been saying this for a long time. Like, I think he's the type of player who he's still in that development age that you see players go through when they're 18 to 20 because Ulevi basically lost all those years due to those injuries. So he's kind of, to me, still at a very early part of his development. He's got that AHL games behind him. He's got the ability to kill penalties. He's got that lead on everybody else in that battle, but Brad Hunt's going to be one you got to keep an eye on because I think we know what we're going to see from Jack Rathbone. I think he showed enough last year in those NHL games for us to know that you know he's got a lot of skill. He's got a ton of skill on the back end. It's it's the thing that makes him stick out a lot more. But man, we we don't know what Brad Hunt's going to look like if he's just an all around better defenseman. And I think a lot of people believe he is. I think if you look at these three and you've seen Brad Hunt play over the past few years or just being able to go back and watch shift-by-shifts of him, he's probably the best all-around defenseman out of the three, but he's also the oldest out of the three, and he's also not drafted by the Vancouver Canucks organization. He's also not a fifth overall pick like Yulevi is. There's going to be a lot of Jim Benning's thoughts, I think, going into who ends up making the team out of this. It's not all just going to be Travis, because I think if it was up to Travis and he just wants to get wins, I'm thinking Brad Hunt's the leader going into this camp battle. Yeah, I, I would agree with you on that front. Chris Faber, our guest here on Sportsnet tonight with Roger Trigill and Josh Elliott-Wolf. When you look at the contract status regarding a player like Jack Rathbone, he, he's not waiver eligible, so sending him down to the Abbotsford Canucks is, is a lot easier to do and a lot, a lot easier to swallow than doing it for Olio Levy and doing it for a player like Brad Hunt. Is it almost beneficial for him to go down to the American Hockey League level for another season and and just know that he is just a phone call away from coming up, just a 45-minute drive, rather than having him play perhaps sheltered minutes for a longer time on the Canucks? Or or how do you do that? How do you see that playing out? Yeah, and I got to give props to Drancer on this one because he's been on this case for a long time. But I know that because the Canucks are into LTIR, when they do call up Jack Rathbone, all of his bonuses automatically hit the cap. So that's going to make Jack Rathbone a $1.5 million cap hit. When you look at that compared to Yolevi, Yolevi's half that, literally half that at $750,000. So I'm going to be really curious to see how they work out with Jack Rathbone. I, I'm sort of leaning to the point now where I think Jack Rathbone is either the sixth or seventh. I think Yolevi and Rathbone are both going to be on the Canucks roster to start the season. And that's strange because I think a lot of people would, as we kind of just touched on, and you just agreed with there, Raja, you know, Brad Hunt probably is the best defenseman out of these three right now. We, we know that there's potential for Jack Rathbone to really be a guy who can play in a top four. Don't know if he's there just today, but I was kind of impressed to hear Tyler Myers today talk about the first thing that caught his eye about Jack Rathbone was that he plays bigger than he looks. And that's something that I guess Tyler Myers knows pretty well is size. So it was nice to hear him talking about that with Jack Rathbone. And if Rathbone can look solid defensively, like he's really proved uh, 
in his time with Harvard, I mean, it was it was so impressive to see how good of a defensive player he was, as well as offensive. So if he can really translate that to the next level, and I think he showed a good amount of that in the AHL last year, and even in NHL games, like we all remember that first game where he's got Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl coming down on a two-on-one and doesn't get scored on, that's a great start for your NHL career defensively. Uh, maybe not being put in that situation is so great for your NHL career, but the fact that he didn't get scored on was a good indication of maybe what's to come defensively in the future for him. So moving away from the defense, I want to ask about your boy, Vasily Podkolzin. And you saw him at rookie camp. Obviously, you saw him a lot watching uh, KHL games the last couple of years. What did you see from him at rookie camp? And what do you kind of expect him to do once training camp really ramps up here? Yeah, I hope it wasn't too obvious that like 75% of my questions to the Canucks players today were about him. Uh, but I'm obviously writing a story about my boy, Vasily Podkolzin. And Seeing what he looked like at rookie camp, he, uh, you know, he had the best shot out of that group. It was very obvious to see. Best skater in that group as well. That He just, all in all, was by far the best player on the ice at that rookie camp. He looked a level above everybody. These battles that we wanted to see, like the big one I wanted to see was as much of Jet Wu versus Vasily Podkolzin as possible. We were obviously only there for the first day. Didn't really get to see a lot. We got to see a lot of squatting. I guess, you know, Pod Colson looked great squatting as well. But he just looked so good compared to everyone else on the ice there that I think that he's going to fit right into this training camp. And I think he's like, I know that he's going to surprise a lot of Canucks fans that, that haven't been able to watch him, right? Like a lot of people weren't waking up at these 5 o'clock, 6 a.m. games to watch the silly Pod Colson play in the KHL. So he's going to surprise a lot of people. But I get the feeling that he's going to surprise me as well. And I was up watching a lot of those KHL games, almost all of them. And I, I just get this feeling that once he gets over here, he's going to be playing with NHL linemates. NHL linemates, no matter where he is in the lineup, are much better than the fourth-line caliber players that he was playing with in the KHL. We saw this exact thing happen with Neil Tuglander last year. Tuglander's playing on a third line in the SHL when he finishes up his season, comes over to the NHL, and looks so much better when he's with NHL caliber players that can play up to his speed, can give a similar effort level to him. And I'm going to expect to see a lot of the same from Vasily Podkolzin. Every scout that you could ask over the past two years since they were drafted will tell you that Vasily Podkolzin is a better prospect than Niels Huglander. And I think we are shocked to see what Niels Huglander did last year. I think we're going to be shocked, and that's including me, who's been able to watch 130-plus of his games over the last two years. I think I'm going to be shocked once I get to see what he looks like with NHL linemates. So speaking of NHL linemates, uh, let's say Travis Green comes to you and he's like, Faber, I know you've watched a lot of Pod Colson. I need to know where this guy should fit in my lineup. Who would your ideal line mates be for Pod Colson if you didn't have to worry about other players getting bumped down or anything? Just the, the most perfect fit on this Canucks team for Vasily Pod Colson come night one if you have the choice. Oh, wow. Yeah, I think you would have to put him with the two best shooters possible. I think that's the most underrated part. I think that's kind of what I mentioned when I think I'm going to be shocked a little bit. It's going to be to see what happens when he's player, playing with players that actually finish. Right? Like when he's playing with players who can actually put the puck in the back of the net, if I had to make a perfect line to get the most points for a silly pod, Colson, if, I was, if the main goal of the Vancouver Canucks next year was to win him a Calder Trophy, you would put him with Pedersen and Besser, and you would let him go out and see if he can work his ass off to be able to win every puck battle, win a lot of these four checks, and get the puck onto those guys' sticks so that they can shoot. I don't think we're going to get there this season. But, man, if he's able to really impress, like I think a lot of people hope that he can, 
there is a chance for him to get into the top six as early as this year. But to me, it's something that might take a little bit of developing before we can really start to have the conversation about him potentially being a line mate for Pedersen and Besser. Chris Faber, our guest here on Sportsnet tonight, Roger Shergill and Josh Elliott Wolf, uh, a player that is going to be absent at Canucks training camp uh, and and also perhaps for the start of the regular season is Tyler Mott. Uh, that's a guy that I've really enjoyed watching over the last couple of years. We know that he's been dealing with injuries as well. When you look at Tyler Mott and you look at the Canucks on that Canucks bottom six in particular, how do you see it playing out with, with Tyler Mott not potentially being in the lineup to start the season? And, and who do you see really filling in for that spot as well? And, and I guess I can also uh, include Brandon Sutter there as well. Another part another player is supposed to be a key fixture on that fourth line that is obviously away for from Canucks training camp right now as well. Yeah, I think the it's, it's really interesting to see who's going to win that battle out of camp. And I think if Brandon Sutter isn't going to be ready for the regular season, which it didn't really sound like, it kind of just sounded like he wasn't going to be ready for the start of camp. I think Jim mm-hmm. Benning was pretty confident that this wasn't going to be a long-term injury for him. So I'm kind of expecting Sutter to be back for the season, even potentially some preseason games as well. As for Mott, you're right. It doesn't sound like, you know, it sounds like he's kind of on the questionable level right now for regular season starts. So that really opens up the door for, you know, all these guys that we've been talking about for the last two months, ever since the Canucks went on a mad signing spree on free agency there. And, you know, the Phil DiGiuseppe's, uh, um, uh, Justin Dowling's the Justin Bailey's like a lot of these guys are going to get the opportunity now to battle for a spot I still think Matthew Highmore is kind of a step above the rest I think there's there's a lot of politics involved in why I believe Matthew Highmore is ahead of everyone I don't think Jim Benning wants to look bad by trading away Adam Gaudet for a guy who doesn't make your team the next year because I think Adam Gaudet probably could have played on that fourth line this year I'm going to imagine that Highmore is almost a lock to be one of the wingers in that spot I think he would have been the guy if Mott and Sutter were both healthy. I think Highmore is going to be one of the wingers. And man, I the more and more I hear about Phil DiGiuseppe, it might just be my Italian co-host on the podcast telling me all these good things about him. But DiGiuseppe seems to have a pretty good rep going into this camp. I wouldn't be surprised to see him have a nice battle against the Zach McEwen for that spot. And McEwen's a guy that I would love to see McEwen be able to excel. I mean, he's he's a smarter player than a lot of people take granted for because he's a guy who can also drop the gloves but I think he's a really smart offensive player and we've seen that when he's in a top six role at the AHL how his offense can really come to show and I think he had a good year two years ago but also a very high shooting percentage so last year was a tough year for him he didn't really fit into the system in a similar way to Justin Bailey it almost felt like he was just a second too early or a second too late on a lot of pucks so if McEwen can kind of figure it out and have a good camp like he did going into the playoff bubble uh, I guess a year and a half ago or whenever the heck that was. Like if McEwen can have a similar cancel like he had there, I think he could end up being the other winger in that spot. But I've also heard that, you know, DiGiuseppe can play some center. Him and Dowling will probably be battling a little bit at camp to see who's going to be the fifth line center. And I think that guy's going to kind of matter a little bit depending on what happens with Sutter here. A, a player that Jim Benning uh, was vocal about today, who he really liked, uh, what he saw from at rookie camp was Danila Klimovic. When you look at him, uh, what do you hope to see from him this season, and and what would be a successful campaign for him? You know what i i I would love to see him jump into the AHL and be a guy that you know plays some minutes, get some time. But I don't think that's going to happen. I I've already got the series lined up. It's going to be called Klim in the queue. He's going to go rip up the QMJHL. I think he's going to be a top guy for, for the Huskies over there in the QMJHL. I'd love to see him be the guy on a North American team. I just don't think that's going to be at the professional level just yet. 
as a guy who was just recently drafted, he could step in there and be that first line guy, be the power play shooter that we all want to see. And he kind of has only really proved that to us at the U 18s, right? He didn't even really do that in the Belarusian second league that he was playing in. He was a third line, second line guy over there who put up a decent amount of points. But I think he was still only like 18th in scoring in the Belarusian second league. So he's not like a guy who stood out in that bad league. He just happened to have a really good U18. And a lot of people had him kind of going in the fourth, fifth, sixth round before that U18 tournament shot him up. And, you know, somebody was going to take a risk on him. Like somebody was going to draft him in the second round after what he did at the U18. Not only because of the goals that he put up against the weaker teams, but he looked strong against Canada. And I think that game was the one that kind of solidified him as a second round pick. So I would like to see him go to the queue. I would like to see him just be an absolute highlight reel for me on Twitter. You guys know I love my prospect gifts. Uh, if he's in the QNJHL, he's going to be loading up my timeline with a lot of beautiful goals this year. I'd like to see him do one year there. And then, you know what? The good thing about that is normally with a lot of these guys in Major Junior, you got to wait till they turn 20 so that they can graduate to the AHL. But because that he's going, because he's going to be loaned to that team, and he's already a drafted player out of Europe, the Canucks can take him out after one season and bring him into the AHL. Heck, they can sign him at the end of this CHL season, bring him right into the A to finish off the year. So they have a lot of power because they signed that entry level deal so early with Klimovic that I'm excited to see what he can do in the queue, and we might even get a chance to see him in Abbotsford late in the season. Chris, really appreciate the insight, man. Thanks so much for joining us, and uh, enjoy training camp. Absolutely, boys. I just got an email from Arby's telling me that they got coupons for me, so I know that I got an Arby's out on the way over there. I'm riding up with Daniel Wagner tomorrow. I'm hoping he doesn't mind me stop for Arby's for some loaded curly fries on the way back. Uh, and also, uh, try, try not to watch Pod Colson squat too much. Oh, no, I definitely won't, but uh, the videos will be out there on Twitter. I'll just be watching through the screen. People love the pod Coles and squats. I'm the second best performing video I think I had from uh, Rookie Camper. Come on, Roger. <laughs> Sounds good, man. Enjoy it, and uh, we'll talk soon, man. You betcha, boys. Have a good rest of your show. Thank you. That is Chris Faber, Canucks Army, Canucks Conversation Podcast, and our very own here at Sportsnet 650 as well. Uh, he also mentioned, Josh, his love uh, for... Brad Hunt. Well, well, definitely. Arby's, Pod Colson, and Brad Hunt. Yes. Definitely. Uh, As we were asking people, um, Canucks fans haven't been as excited for a player like Brad Hunt since I mentioned Cole Castles and uh, Chris mentioned Nikolai Goldobin. We have a few texts as well. Canucks fans haven't been this excited for a player like Brad Hunt since Eric Goodbranson. Yeah, that comes from Jora. Man, remember I I saw the tweet and we we got a break soon. But I saw the tweet that the Canucks put out the first year they got uh, Erickson and Gabranson. It's like, hey, these guys are playing in Vancouver this year. Get hyped! And just in retrospect, that is the worst thing to ever see. <laughs> but I remember I remember people still being pretty skeptical, but also. Like, oh, man, this is a big guy that was taken in the top five of his draft. He he must be good. And he, he just wasn't. But he's still getting jobs. He's playing in Calgary with the Calgary Canucks. So, <laughs> Yeah, with Daryl Sutter uh, as well. Hey, we'll, we'll read more of your texts as well, a lot more uh, text to read. We had a lot of interaction. Uh, we'll do that on the other side as well. Bick Nazar is going to join us at 8.30 to talk more training camp. More Vancouver Canucks conversation coming up on the other side as well. It is Roger Shergill. It is Josh Elliott. Well, if you're listening to Sportsnet tonight on the official home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650. 
You're listening to Sportsnet Tonight with Raja Shergill and Josh Elliott Wolf. Now, here are your hosts, Raja and Josh. Faber was just our, Chris Faber was just our, our guest in the last segment, and he, he likes to watch uh, Vasily Podkolzin do a lot of squatting, apparently. Who doesn't? Yeah. He, apparently, he it's loves It's a big part of hockey. It is a big part of hockey. And he, and he likes to, to watch it uh, on, on Twitter as well on that video. I think, yeah, well, I mean. It's the most viewed video he says that he's ever had. Uh, well, nah, Canucks rookie camp. Yeah. He's he's posted a lot of videos, specifically Pod Colson ones, too. And I'm sure those have done numbers. I'm sure most of his Klimovich videos this this year will do numbers. Yep. Um, let's go to text line, 650-650. We got a lot of, uh, we got a, some Josh-specific ones that I want to read here. You got a Vikings text. From Mike G. Somewhere. Yeah, no, I was pretty excited when I saw it. Uh, we got a few from Mike G, and I want to read the first part. Uh, you guys are awesome, especially Josh Elliott Wolf. Ah, uh, great. That you could have ended the text there. Yeah. Uh, how do you guys see Tucker Pullman fitting into this decor, and who do you see being his partner this season? Uh, so my answer, and then we'll go to you. My my answer, probably Oliver Ekman Larson. Just because I think OEL and Tyler Myers kind of play a similar style of game where they're offense first. And I think you hope Ekman Larson adopts a bit more of a defensive style this year, but you can't really bank on it. So Pullman theoretically should be a defensive defenseman. So I would play him with Oliver Ekman Larson and try to extract as much potential from OEL as he can. And then where do you see Tyler Myers? Probably on the third pair with either Rathbone or Yulevi. Because when, when Myers and Yulevi were together last year, it wasn't that great, but you kind of need to – got to put him somewhere. Well, well listen, I, I actually thought that a Yulevi and Myers pairing, you're right, I, I wasn't a big fan of it. But However, I did believe that there was potential for a pairing like that because Yulevi can sit back a little bit and Myers can kind of do his thing on the offensive side of the puck. And hopefully that brings a little bit of balance. I find – a similar style like that would be beneficial for a guy like Tucker Pullman and Oliver Ekman Larson. So I'll agree with you there. I think that is that is an ideal pairing. But look, it's weird. I don't like getting into pairing talk a whole lot of the time because so often they change, right? Like with lines, there's long term fixtures, right? Well, you'll well you have a three person unit, and it stays for, for sometimes the entire season. With pairings, so often it changes so quickly. And not to say that there aren't obviously long-term pairings. There definitely is. But with this Canucks blue line, I don't see that happening. Because to be honest with you, I don't really see a successful long-term succession plan. So I feel like it's going to be a lot of moving around. A lot of some players being in the press box on certain nights. And with Tucker Pullman, I think we're going to see him play with a guy like only, uh, sorry, Oliver Ekman Larson, like that you mentioned, where he could be that stay-at-home defenseman, kind of between the red line and the blue line, and just let Oliver Ekman Larson or whoever he's playing with just do his own thing and be that physical force. But that being said, is there not a scenario where you can also see Travis Green experimenting and putting him with a guy like Quinn Hughes and Probably. seeing how uh, at, at an ultra-offensive pairing with... Oliver Ekman Larson and Tyler Myers plays out. You know, like, there's just so many different options. Or is it just going to be straight up, in Green's mind, best players play with each other? And you've got the third pair of, say, Brad Hunt and, and Tucker Pullman. 
right? So to me, like, there's just so many options, and I just don't see a long-term plan there. I do like the player in Tucker Pullman. I think that he brings a lot of good, pe- a lot of good uh, ability to contribute to this blue line because I think that there's a good mix now of physicality and of offense and of skating, right? And that intimidation factor as well. With right. Tyler Myers, with Travis Hamannick, with a Tucker Pullman. I like what he brings. I just don't think the high-end skill necessarily is there. So I think we're going to get a whole lot of moving around. And the thing, where I come out on Pullman is he... I hope he works out because I think the the upside could be there for if he's a defensive defenseman and he plays with Quinn Hughes or he plays with Oliver ekman Larson. That could be a really good pairing. But that being said... I'm really hesitant on him and and what he might provide for the team. And to me, it just seemed like when they made the signing, they were like, hey, we need a defensive defenseman. Let's just try to find who is available right now. And that ended up being Tucker Pullman. And, and you look at the right side as well. Yeah, right? it, it was just a really difficult situation for the Canucks this offseason, especially because they were so intense. And I think rightly on trying to make the playoffs again this season, though, you probably should have been a little bit better with the contract, but regardless, that that's how. And I think that's what the contract is really what I'm talking about when it comes to that that right side and and getting that right shot defenseman because we saw what they're going for. Roger Shergill and uh, Josh Elliott Wolf with you here on Sportsnet tonight on Sportsnet 650. Uh, we've been having a lot of conversations about the blue line and really that third pair left defense side. One of the questions that we've been asking all show long is that what camp battle intrigues you the most? And Chris Faber mentioned it. You and I have talked about it a lot. Is the fact that Rod, Jack Rathbone, Ole Ulevi, and Brad Hunt are going to be competing for that final spot. And it's pretty obvious that Travis Green knows that those are the three guys that are competing for it as well. But how is it going to play out? Here's what Travis Green had to say when it comes to that particular camp battle. You know, they all probably bring something to the table that might be a little different. Um, Hunt's obviously got experience, has gone through a lot of different things in the NHL. Uh, Ole had a pretty decent start to last year, I thought. Hopefully has had a big summer to come back as a better hockey player, and, and Rathbone got a taste of it. And, and we've seen glimpses of what he can, what he can do or what he can become. So there's Travis Green talking about those camp battles and the fact that they're going to be bringing each one of those players bring something a little different. Out of those guys, what is it that excites you the most about each player and what they can bring to the lineup? So when we talk about Brad Hunt, I don't know I don't know if I would say anything really excites me. What what intrigues me the most about Brad Hunt is just the that maybe he can be a stable guy on the third pair that's playing for his home team and loves to, in a similar way to Troy Stetcher, as you meant earlier, just puts it all on the line for his home team and provides enough on the third pair that you're like, ah, this this guy's good and he's probably should be re-signed, but there's probably also a, a better option out there. The downside is he's not really a defensive defenseman and what the Canucks need most is a defensive defenseman. With Olya Levy, the upside to be a really good defensive defenseman is there. The issue is his foot speed is still 
really concerning. Mm-hmm. And Faber talked about talked about it a little bit. Is hey, maybe he comes into training camp and the first thing you see is that Ole Alevi is back up to game speed and he actually looks like he's gained a step, and that would go a long way in maybe putting him on the third pair with someone like Tyler Myers and actually making it a formidable pair as opposed to a couple defensemen that you put out there and you're like, man, maybe they're going to get scored on a few times tonight. And then Rathbone, I talked about it a bit earlier. His offensive upside is really intriguing and he just seems to have the most potential out of those three and that's why I would like to see him there. I I wonder how much the inexperience factor in, in Jack Rathbone and the contract status as well uh really puts really makes it difficult for him to make this squad. And and Chris Faber mentioned it as well that if he does get sent down those performance bonuses on that contract are going to hit and all of a sudden you go from a $950,000 defenseman with that contract to about a 1.4 1.5 million dollars. So that makes it a little bit tougher on the cap and, and as we know this is a team that has very tough cap problems, Josh, right? That has a little sticky situation talked about in length, uh, despite what some people might say. Uh, That being said, though, you know, when it comes to Travis, sorry, when it comes to Jack Rathbone, in my eyes, when you saw him last year and when you see guys like Quinn Hughes and Brock Besser and Niels Hoaglander and Elias Pettersson, what I find that was so intriguing about Rathbone to me is the excitement that I felt watching him play was similar to the excitement that I saw with the other guys that I just mentioned. Is that he's a young player, but he looked like he fits in right away. And no offense to Ole Olevi, but he did not look like that. And Travis Green very obviously saw that as well and gave him extremely sheltered minutes. Definitely. I think the contract is going to be tough to make it where he plays in this NHL for the Vancouver Canucks, at least right away. I think the experience factor that Brad Hunt brings, I think the skill set that he brings as well, is going to give him the leverage of making the NHL right away and making this Canucks team right away. But at the same time, it's going to be hard, I feel like, to turn away Jack Rathbone because of what he represents to this Canucks team. And what that what that is, is another player on the blue line that isn't, you know, kind of somebody that you're you're not looking forward to watching. I think he's a player that's actually going to come in and, and be another positive addition to the blue line that I don't think has a whole lot of positive storylines other than the fact that they've got Quinn Hughes, who's still unsigned, by the way. Yeah, and the other thing is, so contract-wise, Rathbone is the only one that doesn't have to go through waivers. And that plays a big part in making the decision. Because if we're looking at it from just a strictly contract point of view... Ole Alevi and Brad Hunt are probably the guys that make the roster. I wouldn't be surprised if Hunt is the seventh defenseman just because he's an older guy. You're not really too worried about if he misses time or doesn't play for a few games or whatever happens with him. Whereas Alevi, if he's on your roster, you probably want him playing just because he's still at a point where he can improve his game and still take steps towards becoming a better defenseman and obviously he's not going to do that if he's in the press box most of the season but that being said it it just comes back to what you were talking about like to me when I look at Jack Rathbone he had the same vibe that Niels Hoaglander did for me last season where Mm -hmm. it was like hey he's not Patterson he's not Hughes but he can be a guy that teams need in their lineup whether it's on 
the second line with Niels Hoaglander, maybe the third on a really good team. And with Rathbone, it's probably the same. He can be probably a pretty good second-pairing defenseman once he's in his peak. If not, he's a really good third-pairing. And that, and that's what you need. You need guys like that if you expect to win a Stanley Cup and if you expect to build a team that grows from within. Because if we're being honest, the Canucks have spent a bit too much money on the back end trying to bring guys in to fix these issues. And they don't really have a lot of guys internally, except for Jack Rathbone, maybe Jet Wu, that can fix some of their issues. Yeah, and and that's the, that's the problem, right? When you don't have that draft capital in the years past that they should have had, I guess, as a rebuilding team to bring some of these guys on and and make them legitimate pieces to help this Canucks team out. That being said, even if they did, you never know. It's it's very hard to forecast a young defenseman. It's very hard to find right shot defensemen as well. And just looking at this blue line for the Canucks, Josh, like I think the fact that what I like about it the most, as I mentioned earlier, is that balance between speed and physicality and high skill and that grittiness, right? And and to me, a player like Tucker Pullman and a player like Luke Shen, who they brought in as well, and, and even Travis Hamanek, who they brought in last year, is that these are the kinds of pieces that they have gotten that are a little bit cheaper, I guess that you would say, that aren't obviously part of the long-term vision, but they're high-end skill that you look at with a player like Quinn Hughes and you see a player like Oliver Ekman-Larsen, obviously who's still signed for six more years, and Jack Rathbone as well, who they've drafted and developed enough to be a real uh, a real advancement on this Canucks team next year. This long-term vision, I find, of these players that they've brought in is actually to be a little bit better on your feet, a little bit more speed, a little bit more offensive. But at the same time, you do have to supplement them with guys that are more physical. And to me, the best version of this blue line is going to be players that have that chemistry together that are able to support each other on both ends of the ice. And that's why I see a player like Brad Hunt being very... A player like Brad Hunt being able to make this team and set such a... I guess, I don't want to say make a good impression because there's obviously other players like Jack Rathbone, I think, that will make good impressions... Olio Levy perhaps will make a good impression. At least he has to if he even wants an opportunity to look at, to make this team. But when you look at guys like Tucker Pullman or you look at guys like Travis Hamanick, are they going to be able to keep up with the speed of the game that I think a lot of people have question marks about? And I find that you might not worry about that when it comes to Jack Rathbone, but there's other question marks like his defend, defending ability that you might have some questions about. Yeah, and that's Rathbone talked that talked about that a bit earlier when he was on the People Show, just about the competition, and they're they're all pretty aware that they're competing for spots, and that's good. Like Brad Hunt was brought in to add another layer of competition because if he wasn't, it would have been Yalevi and Rathbone. They were making the team, and it would have been a very same old story type vibe. Yeah, exactly, and also it would have been okay. You all. All you have to do is decide who's playing that night. It probably depends on what team you're playing against, whether you need more defensive or maybe need to score a couple more goals. Whereas Brad Hunt, he he brings some of that element that both of those guys bring. So maybe he's a good mix of both that he's just... I, I am excited to see Brad Hunt and see what he can do. 
But that being said, he, again, he just doesn't necessarily have the same upside that somebody like Jack Rathbone does. And and I think we still hope Olegalevi has that upside as well, but he just hasn't shown it yet, and that's kind of the frustrating part. But uh, Is it – this is a very weird question, but is it weird that a lot of people are already writing off Olegalevi? Like in my eyes, Josh – and I don't want to, like, training camp hasn't even started yet. They took headshots today, right? They've done NHL media. They've had kind of the fun part of the beginning of the NHL season. But we know how tough Travis Green's training camps are. We know how tough his practices are. Just ask Troy Stetcher. Threw up almost every year. We're going to find out, as Chris Faber mentioned as well, we're going to find out very quickly if Olio Levy's foot speed is ready, if he's legitimately an NHL defenseman or not. Is it bad, I guess, that I'm already writing him off? Because in my eyes, this is really... The only thing in my eyes that is really giving Oleo Levy the best opportunity to make this NHL team is the fact that he has to go through waivers. The fact that you just don't want to lose him next year. Right. Or, or have him be claimed. And this is really his last shot. Like, let's be honest. It's really his last shot with the Vancouver Canucks. Maybe in the National Hockey League, I would assume... You know, we've seen it time and time again when players get drafted in the first round. When players have that draft pedigree, teams will inevitably give you the chance because getting a young player that can make an impact on a cheap contract is so valuable to teams. So he's going to get an opportunity, I would imagine. Right. But my point is that what I saw from him last year and the question marks surrounding his foot speed, and if he's legitimately an NHL caliber D-man, I think that... The real reason he's part of this conversation is less to do with his on-ice ability and less to do with his skill and more to do with the fact that the Canucks just don't want to lose him and also a lot to do with the fact that the Canucks drafted him very high. So they do kind of, or they're kind of obligated to give him this opportunity after him being injured for so many years. Yeah, when you go fifth overall, you get chances. I mean, we saw it with somebody that went sixth overall uh, lately in Vancouver, but the other thing with Yalevi, and I think people kind of forget this, is he, he's 23 years old. And generally, once you hit 23, you're kind of you're it's put up or shut up time. And he hasn't really given you anything to hold on to and be like, hey, this guy can be something in the NHL. And the other the other thing is, since 2018, he has played less than 100 games combined in the AHL and NHL. And so that can be a good thing. There's been less than a quarter of the games in the NHL. There's only been 23. Yeah, exactly. And, and that can be a good thing because, hey, he's inexperienced and he's he's going to figure it out. Maybe he's a late bloomer. But more than likely, it's, it's, hey, this guy gets injured a lot and it's hard for him to stay healthy. And because of that, he's lost a lot of foot speed and it's tough for him to keep up with the NHL game, especially because he's lost a lot of development time. And that's not his fault. It's not the Canucks' fault. I mean, when they drafted him, they weren't aware that he was going to miss this large amount of time, but it it plays a part. And I still don't know whether or not he will be a consistent NHL player. I hope he is. It might not be in Vancouver, but it's it's tough to see how he really works out and really hits that potential that they – thought they might get when they drafted him as a defensive defenseman. And you know what? Say what you want about the Canucks offseason. 
right? It's been one of the most entertaining off-seasons for sure. But whether you think it was a successful off-season, which I think when you look at the forward group, you can definitely make that case. Um, or whether you think that they made a terrible trade in, in adding Oliver ekman Larson and they should just let the contract expire and they might not get the ideal contracts for Pedersen and Hughes. Whether you're the, the on the negative side or whether you're on the positive side, the one positive, other than the offense of this offseason, to me, Josh, is the amount of depth that they were able to bring in. And a lot of that has to do with the fact that their AHL team is now in Abbotsford. But that also provides a little bit of competition because the, the kind of roles that we're talking about here aren't, you know, first line, second line wingers, not top pairing defensemen. We're talking about a seventh defenseman, really, is what we're talking about. It's the sixth and the seventh defenseman. Who's going to have that spot? And for the Vancouver Canucks... There's Luke Shen right there as well. We know what he's done in Vancouver before. Not going to lie, I kind of forgot about Luke Shen. <laughs> <laughs> there's, there's Luke Shen there. Just won a Stanley Cup as well. There's, there's Brady Keeper there as well, right? There's When you look at the, the forward group, there's a guy like Phil DiGiuseppe, Nick Patan that they brought in, right? Brad Hunt, obviously, that we've been talking about all show on the blue line again. Um, so the depth part of this Vancouver Canucks team is, is very, very strong complete 180 from last season so that puts a little bit more pressure not only on that you know third pair defenseman that we're talking about in, in particular Ole Ulevi but also when it comes to injuries and what happens uh when, when certain players might not be playing the right way you, you have legitimate NHL talent creeping up you don't have a Mark Michaelis coming up anymore yeah. right so when it comes really Josh to like who is going to be creeping up on a player like Ulevi or whoever it might be there's there's legitimate threats, I think, there that might take your job. There's not going to be big drop-offs if somebody gets injured. And obviously, like, if JT Miller gets injured, there's going to be a drop-off. Sure. But if somebody in the bottom six, like, to start the season, Tyler Mott is not going to be playing for the Canucks, most likely. And so for that little bit of season, there is going to be opportunity for other players to step up and maybe take a bit of his role, whether it be someone like Phil DiGiuseppe or Nick Patan, somebody else like that in that similar vein. And that's going to drive a lot of training camp. That's going to be a lot of the story in the preseason is who's standing out. And obviously, we, we've we all watched Canucks preseason games before, and we've seen guys that are, like, amazing. And all of a sudden, they just, they're, they're just not that good once the season starts. And that happens everywhere. Um, but that being said, you're right. The, the Canucks stacked the Abbotsford farm team for a multitude of reasons, but the big one is they get a lot of depth, and that's going to help the team once you hit the tough part of the season, especially because you're going back to a full season for the first time in two years. Exactly. And look, right now, right now Brandon Sutter is dealing with a fatigue issue, and, and not to say that every player is going to be dealing like this dealing with that throughout the season but it's going to be it's going to be tough i think for teams to get used to this travel again used to having a full lady to getting back to a, a a longer schedule in which there's going to be uh obviously i think for a lot of teams going to be a tough division not for the Canucks necessarily. I, I think we all agree that the Pacific Division is one of the weaker ones in the National Hockey League. That being said, though, the pressure from the fan base and pressure internally to really get back into the playoffs, it's going to be a very intriguing season for the Vancouver Canucks and, and really for all NHL squads uh, this season. It is Roger Shergill. It is Josh Elliott-Wolf. We'll keep on talking 
about the Vancouver Canucks as training camp officially gets underway tomorrow with on-ice sessions beginning in Abbotsford. Bick Nazar is going to join us as he'll discuss what's going on with this Vancouver Canucks team as well. It is Roger Shergill. It is Josh Elliott Wolf. You're on the official home of the Canucks Sportsnet 650. You're listening to Sportsnet Tonight with Raja Shergill and Josh Elliott Wolf. Now, here are your hosts, Raja and Josh. It is 8 30. Raja Shergill with you, Josh Elliott Wolf, alongside me. Sportsnet Tonight. I'm the official on the Canucks, Sportsnet 650. Big Nazar getting set to join us as well. We'll talk more Vancouver Canucks training camp. We've been doing it throughout the entire show. It's the first time, really, Josh, since. Um, you know, pretty much all of summer, where you don't kind of have to manufacture Canucks topics. Yeah, let me let we'll tell you something about radio real quick. We'll chill. Yeah, in Vancouver, yeah, you kind of got to talk about the Canucks at least once a show, and most of the time in like August or earlier this month, you're probably stretching for content. You're like, okay, I guess we'll talk about the third line today. <laughs> Um, so it's really nice when training camp starts and you know that for the next several months, there's going to be stuff to talk about. That's actually fun to talk about. Legitimate news happening on a day to day basis. You're talking about the games, about how that power play went 0 and 5, how that power play went 5 for 5. And, uh, you know, the, the emergence obviously of guys like Oliver Ekman Larson or, or, the lack thereof is going to be a big talking point, I'm sure, throughout the entire season. Uh, something other, something else that I'm very excited about is, is the goaltending. Like Thatcher Demko and Yaroslav Halak, that tandem, I'm very excited about it. And, and I'm very excited to see how Demko plays in an entire 82-game season. Because now, we're legitimately going to see him be a starter in a full-fledged season. Obviously, we've uh, seen him do it last year. We've seen him do it, um, you know, play a handful of games when Markstrom's been out in the past, but it hasn't really been the amount of games that you would give to a legitimate starting goaltender, especially one that has the skill set of Thatcher Demko. A lot of people are expecting or thinking that he is going to be a top-10 goalie in the NHL next season. In your eyes, is that something that's sustainable? I don't know if it's a sleeper pick, but... I might say Thatcher Demko could be a Vesna candidate this year. And, uh, like, look, obviously if the Canucks make the playoffs, it's probably in large part due to Thatcher Demko. And I know they have a really good forward group, but the defense is questionable. And so Demko is probably going to have to bail them out more often than not. So if he's able to do that consistently this year, maybe start 55-ish games, that might go a long way. And maybe... Maybe he's a top three Vesna guy this season, and and maybe the Canucks make the playoffs because of that. I, you know what? That's not a take that I disagree with because I I definitely do believe that. As as far fetched as it might seem, I do think that we might be able to see that. We'll we'll pose a question like that to Bick Nazar as well. He joins us now here on Sports Six Fifty. Bick, what's going on, man? How are you? Uh boys, or sorry, men. How are you guys doing? <laughs> Thank you. We're doing we're doing great. Thank it's... you, Bick. You guys made it through rookie camp, and now here you are getting ready for the main camp. Yeah, took our headshots today. We are so excited. <laughs> yeah, it's good. It's yeah. good. I, I I can't believe I have to follow Faber though. That's brutal. <laughs> as long as you talk about Canucks players squatting equally as much, you're you're fine. <laughs> That's good. That's yeah. Good. Um, 
So we were just talking about Thatcher Demko. Um, do you think that he can show he's going to be a he can be a consistent top tier goalie in the league next year, Bick? For sure. Now, the environment that's created in front of him is going <laughs> to dictate how good of a performance he can be, right? Because a goalie can only do so much if you're bombarded with all this rubber coming your way. Uh, obviously, it's going to be a concern for, for Canucks fans what happens with the defense in front of them. I'm not as worried in the talent of Thatcher Demko as I am uh, what happens in front of him. Because even last year, like, you know, it, it was obviously tough. I thought the back end of the year, uh, even with the, the COVID struggles, like, it, it was... It was obvious that, like, man, this guy can be a star. Uh, and and you started looking at some of the goalie contracts that were signed recently, obviously in Columbus and in L.A. It's, you started looking at it and you think, you know what, that's kind of a good deal for Vancouver, uh, sitting there with Thatcher Demko at $5 million. Uh, is he ready and is he primed for that next step and the next evolution uh, of his career at a perfectly good age, too, to take on more of the work? Uh, he'll be turning 26 this year. And I think for a guy who's, you know, kind of been slowly marinated, like it's kind of wild to think that he's only played, I think, 73, 72 games, somewhere around there. It's under 75. Like he's he's barely got that many NHL games under his belt, but he's been slowly marinating in the 915 save percentage last year. I, I, I kind of expect those numbers. If, if it slips a little bit, okay, that's all well and good. If it's like 911, we can talk about the defense in front of him. But like my expectation is – uh, above league average goaltending uh, for for Thatcher Demko, uh, as far as the raw totals we'll look at the end of the year, uh, that's kind of what I'm expecting. Now, if the defense is terrible, that, that's part of it. But I, I think we're going to see a really great player uh, this season. Yeah, and um, you know, you mentioned that he's he's going to be slow. He's he's been slowly marinated. Yeah, 2014 draft pick. But at the same time, like he's come in and, and kind of become a superstar almost. Not not to say superstar, but a very good goaltender very quickly as well. We haven't really seen a whole lot of struggles from Thatcher Demko. Um, but he did have Jacob Markstrom, obviously a veteran goaltender, uh, in front of him. And we, he had Brayden Holpe last year. How do you expect the tandem and his partner, uh, Yaroslav Halak, to fare this season as well? And, and what do you expect from the two? Well... Look, we kind of know where this kind of goes nowadays when it comes to uh, goaltending. As, as much as there's days gone by of where we love to see, you know, Roberto Luongo starting every single game, and you look back and be like, wow, you really actually played, uh, what was it, 70, somewhat 68 games, or I think even more some, some days. Yeah, or, 76, uh, some I think, in his first season. Yeah, right? And it's just like, wow, like uh, amazing. I, I like, like we don't really see that anymore because there's too much knowledge and too much data of how much you can tire out a goalie. And it, it, it's not ideal of to, to give a goalie, you know, 70 starts. Uh, my expectation is somewhere like what's 65%, uh, 55 starts, somewhere, like somewhere around there. I, I think that's the right number to try to hit. And then, look, as hot streaks happen and as cold streaks happen, maybe you adjust on the fly. But, like, my expectation is somewhere around 55 to 60. And so that leaves Yaroslav Halak, how many? 20-some-odd uh, uh, there, like 27. Uh, that, to me, feels like the right number uh, in and around that mix. Uh, we'll see if we get uh, more or less. And I know there's fans that want to see Mikey DiPietro uh, get a run of games. So, like, that, to me, is a bit more far-fetched. But uh, I-, I would say my baseline would be 55. And after that, uh, my ceiling would probably be 65 in and around there. 
You mentioned the defense a little bit earlier, and obviously that's the bigger question mark. We kind of know hopefully what we're going to get from Thatcher Demko and what Canucks fans are going to be able to see when the season starts. But the bigger question is the defense, and we kind of have an idea of who's going to be in the top four or at least five of the six defensemen. But then there's that third pairing left side, which is kind of a battle between Brad Hunt, Jack Rathbone, and Ole Levy. Who do you think is going to emerge as the favorite to take that spot? And who would you who would you like to see take that spot? Well, who I'd like to see immediately is Jack Rathbone. Uh, I just think, you know, from, from what we saw last year, he made it easy. And I, I've mentioned this before. Like, players make it easy for you. And to be honest, players make it easy for coaches. If you're talented, if you're consistent, you will play. And just based on what we saw from Jack Rathbone uh, in a very, very small sample size, it's easy to see how talented he is. It's easy to see how smooth he can skate, how well he can shoot the puck, how well he can pass the puck. Those are all things that are, if you were new to hockey, you would just watch the game and say, oh, that guy's a little bit slicker than a lot of the other players. And that feeds into elements of Jack Rathbone's game. the question is going to be how consistent can you be? How strong can you be? Because, you know, the defensive element uh, of the game is going to be important for him. All those attributes are, you know, what I'm going to be focused on during the preseason. How does that show up? Can you carry, Can you build on what you did in that very, very small sample size of games? The, the person that I think can kind of take charge of that is, to me, Brad Hunt. Uh, to me, Ole Levy is kind of running in third as far as talent, consistency, pedigree, all this sort of stuff. You know, we just haven't seen enough. The mobility has been an issue. Obviously, injuries in, in days gone by uh, have, have piled up. Uh, there are moments when you see it's like a okay, very slick passer and, and can do some stuff, but it just doesn't pop enough. Like, Jack Rathbone showed up, and it just, you could just tell right away. It's like, oh, this guy just looks like an NHLer, and it's obvious to see, like, where he can have success in his just limited eight games. Um, Brad hunts to me that that's the one that because he's a veteran player, you can earn a coach's trust a lot easier. Like we've seen it in years past when there were calls for other younger players to play and Oscar Fantenberg was getting minutes and whatnot. And, you know, in, in the bubble, there was a lot of calls for the unknown of UL Levy versus what Oscar Fantenberg could provide. But like there's NHL games, he's been through the process. Brad hunts, you know, had multiple seasons and then multiple stops playing in the NHL, obviously in Vegas and Minnesota most recently, but like he's been through it. He's going to earn Travis Green's trust a lot faster just because he's been in the league a lot longer. And that's something I look at is you just kind of go through the, the, the previous actions, Travis Green of, of how he's allotted some minutes uh, to the bottom end. Uh, like part of me wants to see what Brad Hunt versus Jack Rathbone uh, looks like. And, my preference would be Jack Rathbone just because I think the ceiling is higher, but it's fair to say like the, the, the floor on Brad Hunt might be higher in the here and now. You mentioned it, and I think most people agree with you when you say Ole Levy is probably the third player in that, in that battle that's probably not going to make the roster or at least the lineup out of camp. How mm-hmm. much more runway do you give Ole Levy? Because obviously – fifth overall pick you have a lot of stock in him but he's also 23 years old and has only played 23 NHL games I'm not I'm not I guess I'm not asking when you think the Canucks should like cut bait on him but 
when do you start thinking that there isn't much more to give if he's not cracking this roster this season? Well, I think that's relative to what you expect out of his career at this stage, right? Because there was a time when the Vancouver Canucks needed O'Leal Levy to be a top pairing or top four D-man. That has kind of passed. Like, Quinn Hughes exists, right? There was a time where Quinn Hughes wasn't in the organization and O'Leal Levy was. Well, now there's a left-handed D-man that's going to be playing top pairing minutes once he gets his contract signed and there's expectations for large point production and all that sort of stuff. And then you throw in Oliver ekman Larson to this conversation. So he's also signed a long-term, an NHL veteran. So, like, Oli Levy's pathway to being a core player or even just you know a necessity out of the organization has kind of passed. There's no pathway for him to be a top-four D-man. So you don't necessarily need to provide that context of a runway anymore of you being a core member of this organization. Now it's just, hey, can you be an NHLer? And when you shift that conversation, obviously you want him to succeed and you want to maximize his potential, but like you can extend that runway for as long as you want because the baseline for him is just be a competent NHLer. Can you be a third-pairing D-man? And if you're not, well, then okay, you find your chance to move on and go just find your next depth D-man. But that's essentially all Ole Olivia has to do now is be a depth D-man. And if that's lowering the bar on a fifth overall pick, okay, sure, but like Quinn Hughes and Oliver ekman Larson play. There's there's no reality at this stage that like Yule Levy surpasses those guys. It, it's just not going to happen. We're past that point in their careers. We're past that point in his talent development. That like, If that happens, I would be floored, completely shocked if Yule Levy plays better than any of those guys. And so... You have to shift the idea of, hey, what's potential versus what do we need? And what the Canucks need is him to be a depth demon or anyone in that spot. So I think you can just sign him so long as he's provides some level of value. They were the unsigned five. Now they're the unsigned three. The three remaining RFAs. Uh, Kirill Kaprizov gets his deal done. Rasmus Dahlin gets his deal done. Elias Pettersson, Quinn Hughes, and Brady Kachuk remain unsigned uh, with the restricted RFAs. Um, When it comes to Pettersson and Hughes here in Vancouver, when do you really start to worry about these contracts? Today? Yesterday? (laughs) Are, are Are you already worried? I just don't think it's a good thing that they're not here. Right. Um, like, for me, my preference would have been, um, to be honest, my preference would have been signed in June, um, prior to the expansion draft, prior to the uh, real draft, prior to the start of free agency, just because as much as you want to treat every every negotiation in its own vacuum, special people tend to get special treatment. That's just a way of life. And as much as you want to try to squeeze people and all that sort of stuff and win the negotiation – these guys are the cornerstone of your franchise. Uh, maybe it behooves you to treat them as such. And uh, my preference would have been to see these deals done. Now we don't know the numbers, and maybe you know CAA would have held your feet over the fire. But like, get those guys signed, and then CAA can build the roster around them. I don't necessarily like the idea of figuring out how much Tanner Pearson should get, and Jason Dickinson, and everyone else around you when you leave your meal tickets on the outside looking in this whole time. I, I, I generally speaking, just like solve your big problems and then put all the accessories around them and going about it the other way to say, Hey, these big, these big ticket deals, 
leaving him to the last minute to me is not a good thing because now they're not going to be there on the start of training camp. We've we've talked to players this week, uh, you know, talking to Yannick Hansen on Tuesday on Sportsnet Today, just the value of being there on the first day of camp, and you're, you're never playing catch up. Like, why even put that as a risk? Uh, to me, the deadline should have been today uh, internally. To, to solve that and get these guys here for day one at camp. Cause I think it's important to be there, you know, uh, part of the group. And I know this team is going to start out on a six game road trip. There's opportunities to bond and all that sort of stuff and come together as a team. You can do that on day one at camp. You can do that, you know, be part of the coach's messaging, all that from the start uh, of day one. And to me, that's something that like we're going to be keeping an eye on now in the first four or five games. What if they start slow? well, for a team that might be scraping and clawing for every point to get into the wild card spot or maybe the third spot in the Pacific Division, I don't want to be sitting here in March looking back at what happened in the first five games and a slow start for Queen Hughes and Elias Pedersen, and they pull out four points of a possible ten when we could have the discussion of, hey, what were they like? What could have been if they were here from day one, and could they have managed to get eight points out of ten or seven points out of ten, and would it have looked a bit different? Like that's a huge concern because I I don't look at this team and think, hey, 107 points and they're going to be a cakewalk to to get in the playoffs. They're going to have to scrape and claw for everything. So why why run the risk of shortening your margin of error? Vic Mazzaro, guest here on Sportsnet tonight with Roger Turgill and Josh Elliott-Wolf. Uh, the Canucks are obviously a, a new-look team, uh, especially in the forward front as well. One player that they are bringing in is Vasily Podkolzin, the young rookie, the 10th overall selection from a couple of years ago. When you look at Podkolzin, where do you expect him to start on opening night? And and what's the, the best line mates you think that he can have uh, when it comes to his long-term uh, vision on, for this season? I expect him to start on the third line, and I think that's fine to to slowly build him up. This isn't like last year where Nils Hoaglander can beat out uh, Godet or Vertanen for that second line wing spot. It, it, it was it was an easy bar for I think Nils Hoaglander to cross. This one's a bit different. Like you start looking at the wingers on this team: Garland, Hoaglander, Miller, Besser. Uh, you know, depending what you want to do with Jason Dickinson, Tanner Pearson, right? Like there's a lot of bodies in there, so. They have the opportunity to do, you know, I'm going to use that word again, marinate. Like they have the opportunity to slowly bring him along and and start him out of the third line and see, you know, what works, what doesn't, how he can improve, all that sort of stuff. And it, look, he, he, like even if he starts on the fourth line, I don't think it's a bad thing. It's slowly like make him work his way up. As far as like ideal line mates, uh, to me, I, I think you know you play to his strengths. It, it might not be the most offensively productive line. But, like, part of me kind of wants to see a Tanner Pearson, Jason Dickinson, Vasily Putkolzin line. Like, you want guys who can forecheck hard and you know, play tough against the, the boards and really get after it. You might lose a little playmaking on that uh, that line, and, and perhaps uh, a lot of burden will fall on Putkolzin to be an offensive generator. But that could be a tough line to play against. They're big, they're heavy. And they kind of play to all their strengths of, you know, getting the puck in deep and and just being bigger bodies and, and being tenacious. And, it, and it, you know, for Tanner Pearson in that role there too, it's it kind of gets him out of a primary scoring slot, which I think is better. I think it's it's best case to have Tanner Pearson be a strong player on a third line rather than a, a weaker player on a second line. Uh, now we know the relationship between you know Pearson and Horvat is that a connection or a duo you want to keep together. Uh, I think like 
any combination of Dickinson and put Coles into me is something that looks really strong. And if it's Hoaglander on that line, if it's Pearson on that line, I think you're doing fine. But the two guys I want to see is the defensively responsible center and Jason Dickinson and the defensively tenacious uh, forechecking of Vasily Podkolzin. That, that's kind of like kind of envisioning like a, a duo that can really work together. Bick, really appreciate your insight, man. Thanks so much for doing this, and we'll talk soon. Thanks, boys. That is Bick Nazar here I'm on Sportsnet today from 1 p.m. till 3 p.m. here on the home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650. That was an amazing interview. Wow, amazing. <laughs> wow, amazing. I think we can do a segment next next uh, segment. We can do a little bit of a, of a fun feature. Call it Wow Amazing. Yeah. So how about the- this? We should probably play the clip so that people think we exactly. Just we'll we'll play it. it on the other side. How about this? We'll we'll come up with some statements and how Canucks fans reacted to them, and we'll play that line and we'll see how it goes. Yes, and I think it was great. I am so right. I, I don't think anybody knows what we're talking about, but maybe you you'll figure it out pretty quick. Roger Shergill, Josh Elliott Wolf will do that, and also we'll talk some NFL Thursday night game tomorrow. We'll discuss all that's going on around the National Football League. That's coming up. It's Roger Shergill, it's Josh Elliott-Wolf on the official home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650. You're listening to Sportsnet Tonight with Raja Shergill and Josh Elliott-Wolf. Now here are your hosts, Raja and Josh. Final hour. It is 9 in the afternoon. Some would say 9 at night. Yeah. 9 p.m. But it's this song. It ru- Afternoon... Actually, I don't know if it rhymes with more words <laughs> than night. I, I assume night probably rhymes with more words, actually. Probably. <laughs> probably. Um, Roger Shergill, Josh Elliott. Well, if it is Sportsnet tonight. That uh, that doesn't rhyme. It's yeah, the same word. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> I don't know. What is going on? Uh, final hour of the show. Uh, we'll talk some NFL coming up in this segment as well. Also, by the way, Jim Benning was on uh, the People Show earlier on today. We got to hear a lot from Jim Benning today. He had a media availability with him and Travis Green uh, earlier on in the day at 9.30 in the morning, not at in the afternoon. Uh, they both spoke to media as well, did a, as, well as a whole bunch of players. Pretty much, uh, you know, almost the, half the team spoke to media today. Except for two. Yep. Except for two. Well, I, well, there, there well, was there more was than more, that, but, but two notable ones. Yep. Captain Bo Horvat also, by the way, did not speak. Uh, <laughs> uh, but Jim Benning did speak with media, and he did speak with Satyar Shah, Dan Riccio, and Randy Janda uh, here on Sports at 650 exclusively. G, uh, comments from the general manager. We will replay those for you coming up at the bottom of the hour as well. Uh, Bick Nazar was just on with us. Had a great interview with Bick Nazar, by the it way. It was amazing. Wow. Wow, it was amazing. Um, but we got some sound, and, and Bick, I feel like, captured the emotions of a lot of Canucks fans over the number of years. Like, there was a lot of, of things that Canucks fans, I feel like, said and just felt, especially this offseason, especially the last number of years with this Canucks team. And, and I feel like Bick was able to capture all of that perfectly. Definitely. It, and not even just, like, anger from Canucks fans, just like, of course. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Amazing. So let, we, we put some of the reaction together. The Vancouver Canucks have acquired defenseman Oliver ekman Larson. Wow. Like, uh, amazing. I think that's how a lot of Canucks fans felt. Yeah. Wow. Amazing. He, he has seven years left on his deal. What? 
How how long? How Wow. The Canucks signed Tyler Myers for five years. Wow, like uh, amazing. <laughs> Jim Benning is the general manager of the Vancouver Canucks. Wow, like uh, amazing. Wow. That got a double wow. That was a that was a super wow. Hey, look, Pedersen and Quinn Hughes will get signed eventually. Wow, like uh, amazing. Eventually, Mark Messier has signed with the Vancouver Canucks. Wow, like uh, amazing. Nothing bad could have happened after no. that. But a handful of years later, more than a handful actually. The Vancouver Canucks signed Louis Erickson to a six-year deal. Wow, like, uh, amazing. And then the Canucks trade Louis Erickson to Arizona. Wow. That that was a good one. <laughs> and Antoine Roussel. Wow, like, uh, amazing. And Jay Beagle. Wow. They, they moved off a lot of players. This might be the worst segment ever. The Canucks definitely... The Canucks, I think, made fans feel like everything is going to be okay with a lot of these moves. Yeah, no reason to worry. No, not at all. Some would go nobody, into the- Nobody ripped out their hair. People would go into this year, I think, with only two words on their mind. Wow, like, uh, amazing. Actually, three words. He says like. <laughs> he says like in the middle. <laughs> um, me as a Vikings fan watching the first two weeks. Wow. It wasn't good. But Vikings play Seattle this week. Seahawks have had, well, they had a pretty heartbreaking week last week. Derrick Henry just stomped them. My fantasy team, it worked out great. The Seahawks on the field, probably not so happy. Most NFL fans in the city, probably not so happy. Josh looking at his fantasy team scores like, wow, like uh, amazing. <laughs> I am. I'm 2-0 in both of my leagues. This is the only time I'll talk about my fantasy team, but I've never been this good. Oh, good for you. Thank you. Congrats. <laughs> How about those Vikings, though? Yeah, I don't want to talk about them. Man, Wow, okay. like uh, amazing. <laughs> yeah. Here's the thing. And, and this isn't Minnesota Vikings Central. But the Vikings have been within... We've talked about Canucks for the last two hours. I'll give you a couple of minutes here to talk <laughs> Vikings. The Vikings have been okay, but they've been within two plays of being 2-0. Both weeks, I mean last week especially. Last week was... Just just hit a field goal. He did. Dude, okay. Do you know what it's like to be a Vikings fan? And every time a crucial kick comes up, you're like, well, they <laughs> lost. And then it just always happens. And like Blair Walsh... You're not used to it He did it, it against the Seahawks. Oh, I'm used to it. Okay. Like, So I was watching the Vikings game with a friend. And right before they're about to kick, I turned to him like, he's going to miss. It's the Vikings, he's going to miss. It's yep. a... It's a 35-yard kick. He is going to miss. And, oh, just immediately right. But they are who we thought they were. Yeah, they're the worst. So, I, I don't know. The Vikings, I know we got a text from Mike G earlier yep. saying, hey, give me three reasons why the Canucks will, or sorry, why the Vikings will beat the Seahawks this week. I don't even know if I could think of three. But Dalvin Cook is probably one of them. He's probably the main reason. Their defense not completely being horrible. And then just making kicks is number three. But odds are the Seahawks win this week, but it's also the Seahawks, so 
they're probably going to do some weird stuff. It's going to be a close game because both teams play close games, but Seattle's going to win. Dick Nazar is watching the Seahawks. Every game is different. Every game is the same. Wow, like uh, amazing. <laughs> dog in North Delta texting in. Jim Benning, year seven of his five-year plan and only needs a couple more seasons to be ready and compete. Wow. Amazing. <laughs> Man, I just feel like it works on so many levels. If you have any suggestions, text them in and Bick will give them a wow. Wow, amazing. <laughs> Yeah, if they if they deserve it, yeah. Um, my Chargers, by the way, like it's been a couple of weird weeks for my LA Chargers. Like they they had a pretty good week one against the the Washington Football Club. Their defense is obviously really good in Washington, but they were able to put. Well, what is happening? That that was not amazing. The Matrix uh, got a, a hold of the computer here, boys. Sorry about that. That happens. Um, yeah, the Chargers. Vic does not like talking about the Chargers. <laughs> yeah. Once you move off the Seahawks or the Vikings, he's, he is out. He's not even a Vikings guy. No. But <laughs> once he likes them more than the Chargers, apparently. It, probably. Um, man, like, the NFL, uh, it's, it's been great, obviously, to watch the last couple of Sundays. Um, because it, it's been, you know, like, for me, like we mentioned off the top of the show, just, like, having that day where especially after all these months of just, like, no sports other than baseball. And now, all of a sudden, like, right before NHL hockey gets underway, you've got this plethora of football to just watch. It's like, awesome. it's amazing. The start of fantasy is great, too. You've got the handful of drafts, especially if you do them in person. It's in a big event. Like, I, I love the start of football season. It's great. And tomorrow we've got uh, the Carolina Panthers, led by Sam Darnold and Christian McCaffrey, take on the Houston Texans. Um, Without Tyrod Taylor. Yeah, no Tyrod Taylor. Um, so, you know, we were talking before the show started. What are the teams, Josh, through the first couple of weeks that have impressed you? And to me, it's it's the Houston Texans. Like, I think a lot of people expected them to just sort of roll over and, and just get dominated in these contests. But Houston has actually looked good. They've put up fights. And I don't know if people expected them to do that, especially with Tyrod under center. And, you know, the first contest, they come out, granted it's Jacksonville, but they put up 37 on that Jaguars team, which, by the way, looked terribly coached under Urban Meyer. Yeah. He's <laughs> like, oh, man, teams are actually good here. Yes, in the National Football League. And, hey, they, they defeat them, and then they have a contest against Cleveland, which was very close as well. It was a very entertaining game, I thought. And... They, they drop it 31-21, but the Texans, to me, have been a real surprise because you've actually seen pretty quality football from this organization that I don't think a lot of people expected. Yeah, that's fair. They're, they're actually leading their division right now. Technically, it's a tie, but they, they got the point differential, and they're, they're at the top. But, yeah, I honestly, I'm a Tyrod Taylor believer. Oh. And I know you saw him with the Chargers last year, and then his own doctor was like, no more football for you. <laughs> yeah. uh, but that being said, I I like Tyrod, and I think the Texans weren't as bad as people thought they were with him behind center. But now they're going to be having David Mills back there, and it's not – I'm just not as hopeful. I watched a bit of the game when he was playing, and it just wasn't – it didn't inspire that much confidence. And – Look, Carolina has looked pretty good, too. I mean, Sam Darnold has been... I, I'm more hopeful than most, I think, on Sam Darnold. I'm with you. 
yeah, once you leave the Jets, you anything's possible. Yeah. Um, so it's it's been a nice little two game stretch for the Texans, and I will say they've impressed me, but I don't know how long that's going to carry on. I don't think it's going to carry on very long. <laughs> I think it's probably going to finish tomorrow when Christian McCaffrey like just goes off, right? And yeah. it's going to be it's going to be a fun fun contest to watch. I think because like Christian McCaffrey is obviously one of the most entertaining players to watch in the National Football League right now, other than you know not somebody that's not a quarterback because there's just so much great quarterback play happening across the NFL. Um, but but Houston's definitely a team that's impressed me. Another team that I'll say that's impressed me. Speaking of great quarterback play, is Kyler Murray and the Arizona Cardinals. Like that team has done such a good job. The first couple of weeks, they put up 38 points and just dominated. The, the Tennessee Titans in week one, 38-13. Kyler Murray looked amazing. He did. And then they do it the very next week against your Minnesota Vikings. He did. A team that, sorry, a game that, yeah, Vikings probably should have won that. That being said. He, he looked good. And he was, like, he, Kyler Murray, I think, has been, and obviously his career is still young, but he's been one of the most overlooked quarterbacks when we talk about the elite ones in the NFL like obviously there's Mahomes people still talk about Brady and he's the GOAT Rodgers uh Prescott gets a lot of attention because he's in Dallas but honestly like if you gave me a choice between Prescott Russell Wilson and Kyler Murray and and people in that tier let's say Justin Herbert is probably approaching that too I would take Kyler Murray and it's not only because like, look, he, he has the foot speed, and he can run similar to Lamar Jackson, though I think Lamar is kind of a special talent in that way. But Kyler also has just a cannon for an arm. And, like, if yeah. he if he can't run or he can't find a short pass, he's going to air it out to Rondale Moore, and he's going to ruin your Sunday. I, I think Kyler is, is probably a little quicker than Lamar. He's more, he's more shifty. Exactly, right? Side to side quick movements I think he can he's probably better than Lamar in that sense but Lamar is just straight up speed right yeah. like once he gets going that top end speed Lamar is probably uh, the best in, in the league when it comes to uh, quarterbacks and that's in that category he's just does such a good job and we've seen him just dominate the game as well like when it comes to that contest against uh, Derek Carr and the in the in the Raiders like that was a, such an entertaining game and and I think that you know we were talking off air you said that the car that the Raiders are a team that you find the most entertaining or, or the team that's impressed you the most through a couple, the first couple of weeks. Yeah, I would say so. And I think a lot of people are on that same train. Like Derek Carr has looked great. And obviously the Raiders Derek Carr is very underrated. Yeah, definitely. He a lot of people put him and I guess I would too in that kind of Kirk Cousins tier where, hey, people kinda of crap on him a little bit too much, but he's better than the average quarterback. Not great, probably not. He's- Better than half the league's quarterbacks. Exactly. But Derek Carr kind of has he, – he just – he puts the team over the top a little bit. And it, it's a good team. And, yeah, they're they're probably the most surprising to me so far because that week one game against the Ravens, I mean, they probably shouldn't have won, but both teams should not have won with how that overtime was going. Uh, and then last week against the Steelers was impressive as well. And so – they're going up against the Dolphins without Tua this week, most likely, or I, I believe it was confirmed that they'll be without Tua. And so that's going to help. It, it'll be interesting to see how they do against Miami's defense, but I think 
they're one of the better teams to keep an eye on. And it, it, it's always going to be tough in that division. Both West divisions this year are just so intimidating. And I wouldn't be surprised if they do fall off once they start playing the Chiefs and they start playing the Chargers. But that being said, through two weeks, they've really impressed me. Yeah, as a Chargers fan, that division does scare me, obviously. Um, and, and as a Chargers fan, like it's tough to see the Raiders get off to such a great start because I want my team to be contending and battling for that wildcard spot, man. And I kind of didn't expect the Raiders to be that much in the hunt. I don't think many people did. No, and and when it comes to the Chargers, I don't want to say it's been underwhelming, but it kind of was. I, I gave them a pass in the first week because of that defense that they played in Washington. But this last week, the Chargers' defense just let them down. And there was a handful of mistakes, especially on the offensive side of the ball when it comes to taking penalties. They lost about 100 yards in that contest, including a couple of touchdowns that got taken away because of just terrible penalties that the Chargers were able to take. And they shot themselves in the foot and lost that game in classic Chargers fashion because that's been happening for the last number of years. And and when it, hap- and when it comes to the domination, as you mentioned, in both West divisions, but especially that in AFC West, you kind of have to start making up ground because you got a decently tough schedule. And they you- can make up ground this week, right? Yeah. yeah. Who are they playing? The Chargers this week. They are playing the Chiefs. Yep. And when it comes to Justin Herbert, I liked what his con- what he did against the Chiefs last week. I believe it was his debut. or is this- Last year, yeah. Yeah, last year, sorry. Yeah. It was an amazing game. And I think the offense is really going to show for both teams because the defense for the Chargers on paper, it's supposed to be pretty good. Uh, but last year they had a lot of injuries, didn't really play all that well. This, after last week, their run defense wasn't great. I'm not a big fan of the Chiefs' defense either, so I think it's going to be a high-scoring contest, and I really hope this this time around uh, Justin Herbert is able to get the better of Patrick Mahomes, just like Lamar did. <laughs> it's going to be an uphill climb, but that being said, like the Chiefs do have this habit of, I don't want to say coasting because they never really coast with Mahomes, but they don't seem to take the game seriously for like the first half, sometimes the first three quarters. And then they just rely on Patrick Mahomes and Tyree Kill and Travis Kelsey just to bail them out in the fourth quarter. And most of the time, it works out. It's kind of the Seahawks strategy where it's just like, hey, uh, we're going to try to run the ball a lot. And then Russell Wilson will probably save us in the fourth quarter when we decide that we need to throw it. But with the Chiefs, it's just I think they know they're a playoff team, and so they're kind of coasting through the regular season. And obviously, it's only been a couple games. But I do want to see a game, and I don't think it'll be this week against the Chargers just because division games are always close. Yeah. But I want to see a game where the Chiefs show that they are the best team in the league again because, honestly... You want pure domination? I do. Well, when it was Brady and the Patriots, I, I definitely did not. <laughs> But like Mahomes, Patrick, or uh, sorry, Andy Reid, and the Chiefs are just—they're fun to watch. And when they're firing on all cylinders, and Patrick Mahomes is doing what he does, there—that's the most exciting football you can see right now. And I think you're going to see that when you what you always see when you watch Chiefs fo- football. But you're going to see that especially be true in the next couple of weeks because, as you mentioned, this coming up week they've got the Chargers interdivisional game. Going to be 
a very tight one, as you would predict. I, I'm thinking that it's going to be a high-scoring matchup. And then the following week, you've got the Raiders again. Right? So the last couple of weeks when it comes to this Chargers team, sorry, this Chiefs team, it's going to be a lot of entertaining games. And, and this AFC West, as we just talked about, Josh, is one of the better div- divisions in the in the entire NFL. And it's going to really come down to the wire, I think, with this division. And you're already seeing that sort of play out in the first couple of weeks, which I didn't expect that to happen in at all, really, in the beginning of the season. Definitely. Yeah, I thought it would be when I was projecting it. And, like, I know some people go through game by game for each team, and they're like, Bick Nazar yep. is, is pretty notorious for being super into football and obviously does stuff like that where he goes through each team's schedule and figures out which team he thinks is going to win games based on their rosters and other stuff but me i kind of look at the look at the division and i'm like that team seems good yep so when i looked at the afc west i thought okay chiefs are in first obviously and then the chargers were a wild card team to me and then yep. denver didn't really seem like much of a threat but they've been good too and then doing uh vegas has kind of vegas is always a weird team where they seem like they can be good and then other times they're just they're all out of sync and not that great. The downfall of the Raiders has not been Derek Carr, right? It's been everything almost around Derek Carr, right? Surrounding the Raiders and and their you know lack of of win totals in the last couple of years. Um, I wonder if this year's a little different. I don't know. It's going to be interesting to see, obviously. And um, man, I'm just excited to get it going all tomorrow. It all kicks off. Carolina Panthers. Take on, uh, they're in action tomorrow uh, against Houston, uh, Five twenty kickoff for week three in the NFL. We'll be on air while it's going on. So, I, well, we'll have live reaction when a touchdown is scored. And we'll go, wow. When DJ Moore. That was a touchdown. Yeah, when DJ Moore hopefully pick puts up uh, a couple of points for me. Yeah, I got him too. So We're on the same page there. I also, I put a little bet on the Panthers because... Uh-huh. They're playing a backup court, backup backup quarterback, I guess, because Deshaun has not played this year. Yep. So um, we'll get we'll get back into the uh, NHL talk a little bit here. Um, we have a, a bunch of texts that we didn't get to earlier. We talked about uh, Brad Hunt a lot over the course of this show, over the course of the the first couple of hours, and I think one thing that we've realized is that the Canucks fans, they love Brad Hunt. First of all, they got rid of Nate Schmidt, obviously the Canucks did, and he was this amazing personality, this guy who comes across as bigger than the average hockey player when it comes to his personality and it comes to how he talks to media. And then Brad Hunt does this interview, and it's similar, right? Where, like, everybody just loves him right away. So we asked this question earlier. Canucks fans haven't believed in any player as much as they've believed in Brad Hunt since. I came with Nikolai. I came with Cole Castles. Chris Faber came with Nikolai Goldobin. Who are you saying? I'm going to say Frankie Corrado. As you hit your microphone, yeah, on your I face. just hit my microphone on the on the <laughs> table. I'm sorry, uh, but Frankie Corrado. Remember him? When oh. on waivers, everybody was like, no. Frankie! I think he's Dan Riccio's favorite player because he's from the same hometown. <laughs> yeah, he went to Toronto. He's been on the station a few times, I believe. Oh, yeah. Um, 
And Toronto was like, well, we don't want to lose him, so we're not going to put him on waivers, but also he's not going to play any games. And then his career kind of fizzled out, and he didn't seem to be that much. But Canucks fans were, I remember them being pretty upset that whole season that the Leafs weren't sending him down because Canucks would have had first waiver priority because they were the team that lost him. And also just the fact that they lost a young defenseman, which, I mean, is fair at the time, but... Hindsight 2020 didn't end up being much. Maybe he would have been something if he was able to actually play that year, but I, I don't think it impacted too much. Ben from Victoria says, Jordan Subban. Oh, man, I was hopeful for Jordan Subban. Mm-hmm. Mainly just because of the Subban part. That's, yes, 100%. That's why. <laughs> yeah. And it was like he played a very different style than PK does. PK is more of a two-way player. He's got the physical ability as well. Great skater. And then obviously he's able to put up points as well. Jordan was known pretty much for zero defense and just all offense. Probably quarterbacking a power play. It never worked out. It did not. And the Canucks dealt him to LA for Nick Dowd. And then the Canucks got rid of Nick Dowd. And then he does, uh, is a great fourth-line center now, apparently. Nick Dowd is a, is a very underrated player in the league. And I don't think he, he was in Vancouver. He was just kind of a guy in Vancouver. But good for Nick Dowd that he, he figured it out somewhere. Yeah, that's very true. It is Roger Shergill. It is uh, Josh Ali. Well, by the way, uh, I want to get to this as well quickly. Um, Evander Kane, the NHL coming out. Uh, and saying that uh, they found no wrongdoings or no evidence uh, in that accusation from his wife about gambling on his own games. However, they are still looking at another allegation towards Evander Kane about other uh, accusations that his wife has made. As a result, the San Jose Sharks coming out with a statement saying that Evander Kane will not be present at San Jose Sharks training camp. So just a little bit of an update on the Vancouver product, Evander Kane. Coming up on the other side, Canucks General Manager Jim Benning. He was on this station. If you missed his comments, we will replay them for you. Coming up, it is Roger Shergill. It is Josh Elliott Wolf on the official home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650. You are listening to Sportsnet Tonight with Raja Shergill and Josh Elliott Wolf. Now here are your hosts, Raja and Josh. I'm being, I'm being pulled. I'm like a ba- I'm like a goaltender that had a bad sh- bad show or whatever, a bad game, and I'm being pulled. I haven't done a good job of, of reading our fill in the blank, and so I'm delegating to you. Okay, I've got it. Cause we got a text in the break from Marcus in Victoria, so I'm gonna I'm gonna read it now, and I'm not gonna mess up. Okay. Canucks fans haven't believed in any player as much as Brad Hunt since Aaron Volpatti. People lost their minds when he was waived. I remember Volpatti. Oh, yeah. I remember. He went to Washington, I believe. Yeah, and just kind of fizzled out. And that's the thing, guys. This is going to happen again this year. Somebody's going to get waived. Canucks fans are going to be like, oh, my God, no. And then it's going to be okay. That's how they sound? Well, well, probably not exactly like that. I assume there's a wide variety of voices. Uh, So, um. And when Canucks fans have uh, a player that like get waved. Wow, like uh, amazing. <laughs> exactly. It's just, it is what it is. And you kind of just have to live with it. Every team is going to have, I feel like we also see every year this notable player go through waivers and everybody at the same time is like, no way this guy gets through waivers. And then he, he definitely does. And then you kind of just don't hear about him again. 
or he gets claimed by a team and you just don't really hear about what he's done for that team. So usually teams have a pretty good idea of what that player is when they put them on waivers. So just don't overreact if you see somebody on waivers by the Canucks after the preseason. I think there's one player that we might see in the in the coming months that people might freak out about a little bit. Maybe not freak out, but just be upset at the fact that it didn't work out. OJ? OJ. Ole Levy. Yeah, no, it, it, it wouldn't be a surprise. I do think the Canucks probably... They they don't want that PR, I don't think. Unless Yalevi makes it so obvious that he's just not ready. In which case, look, another team is probably going to take a flyer on him. But he's also 23 years old. And who knows how much he's got left. But you know what? Like, it's I get it why we're saying they don't want that bad PR. But at the same time, Josh, like... If the player's not good, the player's not good. And the and the team has actually upgraded their depth part of the defense. Whether you think that Oliver ekman Larson and the entire blue line as a whole is better than last year or not, that's an entirely different conversation. But when we're talking about the next man up mentality of who's going to fill in for a guy like Brad Hunt if he's hurt, for a guy like Ole Ulevi if he's waived, for Luke Shed if he's hurt or whatever, like the, the downgrade isn't a whole lot, right? It's Brady Keeper that we talked about. It is Luke Shen that we've talked about. Right, so they've they've got good players, I think, that are clamoring to get a roster spot and have a shot in the National Hockey League. Where if a player like Ole Olevi doesn't work out, it's, at the end of the day, it, it isn't that big of a deal of of what it could have been a couple of years ago. Yeah, and look, when you draft somebody fifth overall, you always hope they work out, and it's it's a big deal that they didn't work out at 100%, all. Hundred percent, yeah. But now, like Bick was saying, you're grading Ole Olevi on where he is now. And personally, when I look at this roster, I would much rather see Jack Rathbone play games than I would see Olya Levy play games. And so when it comes to that, and if we get to a point during the season where the Canucks are looking at their roster and Levy is the odd man out that they have to send down and maybe test waivers with, I know it's going to be a big Canucks Twitter thing that maybe starts some drama, but... Look, it's it's not an unrealistic thing that could happen, and it's not unreasonable to think that it's for the it's for the better of the team. Yeah, and um, you know, we had a text here earlier that I'm just trying to find. I I lost it, but essentially, it was asking why would the Canucks waive Olio Levy? Why not just trade him or, or something along those lines? Uh, something to do with dealing Yolevi and, and maybe the time has passed. But um, I apologize, I can't find the text. But the fact is, you're better off, especially a few months ago, even last season, you're better off not dealing Yolevi because you would rather see at this point, after these many years after being drafted, to see what he can give you, right? Give him a, a fair shot or as much as a fair shot as he gives, lets you give him to be an NHL defenseman. And last year, he got a little bit of that, 23 games worth in very sheltered minutes. This year, we're going to see how his legs are, how his conditioning is in training camp. He'll have some NHL action, I would assume, this year. He'll definitely have some American Hockey League action. If that doesn't work out, whether it's in Abbotsford or somewhere else, that remains to be seen. Um, but we'll find exactly we'll find out exactly what Ulevi is, and that's kind of the point in, in keeping Ulevi around. The value of trading him just isn't enough because, you know, you'd, you'd much rather... 
Find out for yourself is he if he's a NHL caliber defenseman rather than get back a seven that a lot of different teams figure out figure out that he is and and that's why obviously you keep him around. Um, as mentioned, the Vancouver Canucks have a whole lot of depth this year. That's something that's very exciting. Canucks general manager Jim Benning did speak about what else is exciting for him this year as the Vancouver Canucks get ready for this year's campaign. I'm excited. Um, you know, I'm excited about the moves we made this summer. You know, we still got some work to do. I need to, you know, get these two young guys signed and in here. Uh, so hopefully we can get that done here soon. But I'm excited about, you know, the players we acquired. I think in talking to the players, they're excited. It's going to be now, you know, we got a lot of new play, uh, players. So it's going to be get them in here and meshing as a team and getting to know one and one another. So, um, you know, Travis, I'm glad we got a full training camp. He's got work to do to get everybody on the same page, but I'm excited to get started. Uh, you mentioned you're optimistic about getting Quinn and Pedersen signed. You mentioned you don't feel like you're too far apart uh, with your media availability a bit earlier on. We've right. seen some RFAs getting signed now. We're getting to that time of the season with training camp just, just coming up right now. So we saw the Kaprizov deal yesterday. We also saw the Rasmus Dahlin contract today. H- have those contracts have any bearing on your negotiations with your two key free agents? Well, you know, every contract that comes out, I think, has some bearing. Um, you know, we've had good conversations with Pat Brisson and CAA, and I think we kind of both are kind of uh, under an understanding of what it's going to take to get a deal done, and we're going to continue to work through those things, and hopefully, you know, we're not that far apart, so I'm hoping that we can get something done to get these kids in for camp. Yeah, that's the uh, the big uh, issue right now with the Canucks fans as well. They want to see the guys in camp. But how would you describe the negotiations with uh, Pat Brisson on both of these players so far, Jim? Well, they've been they've been really good. I've had I got a good relationship with Pat. I've known him for a long time. Um, you know, they they bring up some good points on their side, and I think we have some good points on our side that we bring up when we talk to them. So, um, like I said, we're just going to continue to work through it till. Uh, we get to the final the final deal on both of them. You've gone down this road with with Besser and Horvat in in the past. Is is this any more or less difficult than those negotiations? I don't think so. I think you know we've been you know right from the start of negotiations. We understand how important these players are to the future of our franchise, and um, you know we we don't take that lightly and. And, you know, and Pat's got a job to do, you know, for the players. So, um, you know, we'll continue to talk till we get to common ground and, and, and then get these guys signed. Jim Benning is our guest here on the People Show on Sportsnet 650. And, you know, obviously with us still kind of trying to get through the pandemic, the vaccination rate is really important for every single team. And I know you mentioned you expect 100% compliance of vaccination for the start of the season. The mm-hmm. question around Travis Hamannick, we want to ask about his status, but do you anticipate that he's going to be available through training camp? And when do yes. you think that he yes. can get through? So when do you think he can join the team? Well, he's, he, he'll join the team tomorrow. Um, so he's uh, he had a reason to to kind of come a day late. So you know we've he's flying in today, and um, you know he's got to do a COVID test when he he lands today. And then you know when we get that COVID test back that he's negative, then he'll he'll join the group. Well, you mentioned or, as an organization, uh, the goal is 100% vaccination rate. That's what it will be. 
Um, right. Have there been any difficult conversations like we've seen in society? Uh, I mean, what has that process been like just to get to that 100%? Well, you know, it, it's, there's been, you know, some guys that, um, you know, it's been a little bit more difficult than other guys, but for the most part as a group, everybody understands, you know, they want to get back to as normal as we can be and getting vaccinated, you know, and being vaccinated as a team, I think, you know, gives us the best chance to do that. And, you know, like we, like when we got our group got that P1 variant last year, it was, uh, it was really hard because, you know, the players, they, they know what they signed up for when they play that there's a possibility that they could get it. But I think it was really hard, you know, when their wives got it, their young kids got it, the families all got it. And, you know, and so, you know, the players, they, they understand that, you know, that's part of the risk of what they sign up for. But, you know, to see all their families get it too, I think it was a really difficult situation. How how difficult would it be to carry an unvaccinated player on the roster with the league protocols and even border restrictions? Well, it would put a big strain on, on everybody, um, you know, and if an unvaccinated player goes and plays in the U.S. when he crosses the border because there's no exemption, he has to quarantine for two weeks. So, you know, it disrupts the team chemistry if, you know, it disrupts like, you know, what Travis is trying to do to figure out lines or defense partners. So, you know, I, I'm just I'm happy that, you know, we got our whole group vaccinated and, you know, we can, you know, camp's going to be important for us because we got, you know, some young guys that are going to be pushing for jobs. I think it's going to be exciting to see them and how they perform. And then, you know, we got a lot to prove this year. So we got to get off to a good start. So it's going to be important that, you know, we get everybody on the same page here as fast as we can. I'm glad that we're having a full camp this year. And um, I expect, you know, it'll be, there'll be a lot of competition from within for ice time, uh, for spots on the team. So it should be fun to watch. And, you know, looking at this team and the amount of depth that you guys amassed this year, I think that's maybe one of the differences that where last season there wasn't a ton of depth if guys got injured. You had guys like Mark Michaelis coming up and it was difficult with all the protocol and having a team in Utica. How do you feel about the competitions, not only in the NHL team, but also the AHL and how to try to manage trying to win in both teams, but also trying to develop young players? Like There is a lot more bodies and a lot more at stake now than it has in the past, and that's a positive thing. I think it's a positive thing because I think we should have a real good team in Abbotsford this year and, you know, to, to pick the final team, uh, it's going to be hard for the coaches this year to, you know, because we got some, some guys that, you know, have played in other organizations that are going to come in and, and, you know, earn, try to earn spots. So um, there'll be some hard choices at the end of camp, but also like the depth we have this year, if we do have injuries, you know, we call guys up and, and they can come in and, and they can perform at a level that, you know, we, you know, that we can keep being competitive. So I think having our farm team in Abbotsford this year is going to work out really well in that regard because, you know, it's we can keep an eye on them. We can go watch the games. We can see the development of their young players. Uh, we can be more involved. So I, I'm really looking forward to, you know, this season and getting to games in Abbotsford and watching that team more.
When you think back to last year, you know, a lot of, a lot of changes came out in the off season, uh, made a lot of uh, home improvements uh, to, to the roster and the reconstruction there. And now I, I wonder from your perspective, Jim, when you, when you see the guys coming into to the arena today, is there a, a sense of, especially for those returning, do you see a deeper sense of motivation to, to try and make good on, on everything that happened last year? Well, I think, you know, for the whole group, it was, you know, a really disappointing and hard season last year. And, you know, I guess the kick in the shins is when, you know, our whole team ended up getting sick at the end. So, you know, everybody, you know, I talked to the, the leaders of the team, the veteran guys on the team, and they like the depth we have in the group. And, and you know, we got younger, we got faster, we got more skilled. Um, bringing OEL into the group. He's a veteran player and he's already, you know, his presence is felt in the room. I talked to Bo about it, that the other day and I think, you know, he's going to be a good mentor for Petey when he gets in here. So, you know, I like the, this, you know, we got younger, faster, more skilled and, you know, the, the, the game that, you know, we like to play or Travis likes to play is an exciting offensive game. But I, I believe we've signed some guys, too, that can help out in the defensive end, too. So uh, I'm looking forward to seeing, you know, where all these guys fit in at camp and, you know, who's going to fit with who, who's going to play with who. And uh, so that part of it's all exciting. And you guys made a number of additions also off the ice. And uh, we'll joke about Craig McEwen another day, Jim. But as far as uh, <laughs> management goes, you guys yeah. added Henrik and Daniel Sedin to the fold as well. And what was it like working with those guys through the offseason, having them part of the process and going through the evaluation process with those guys? What has it been like and, and how much have they been able to contribute in the short time with the organization? Well, first of all, I'll comment, comment on C-Mac. He's crossed over to the dark side now. So... Uh, <laughs> He's a good guy, though, and we really enjoyed having him around. Uh, Daniel and Hendrick have been fantastic. Like, they're, you know, I had them as players here when they were here, and they're, you know, hardworking guys that, um, you know, they're humble. They they want, you know, what's best for the team. Um, they've had a lot of experiences over the years, and I think, you know, they've really helped out. They enjoy being back part of the Canucks organization so uh, it's been a lot of fun so far having them around well Jim a lot of additions over the offseason it's the beginning of the year I have to ask you what are your internal expectations for this team this year well we want to we want to get back to being a playoff team like it's you know our division you know we got some some good teams in our division but I think you know it'll help us to play all the teams again not just the same teams over and over and get back to a regular schedule and but you know our goal this year is, is to make the playoffs and then you know once you make the playoffs anything can happen so uh it was a tough season last year but um i'm really looking forward to you know see how our group gels over the course of the season and and you know see where we end up here at the end that is canucks general manager jim bedding talking on the people's show with dan riccio satyar shaw and Randeep Janda. A lot to digest in, in what Jim Benning had to say, not only in that interview, but also in his media availability earlier on today. And I, I think the biggest thing, not only from, from Jim Benning's perspective, and it's not a surprise, it, it comes from all of the players as well, Josh, is that 
this is a team that realizes how important it is to make the playoffs. Because, you know, two years ago, it was aspirations to get to that point. It was, this is a team that has missed. This is a young team. And if they can get in, it'll be a really ground-breaking situation for what they can do for the future of this franchise and give guys like Pedersen and Hughes and everybody else the experience of playing in the postseason. Now, all of that still exists, but it's really righting a wrong that was last year, is it not? Yeah, and they talked about that a bit, making up for what last season was, and a lot of the moves made this offseason were to make the playoffs this year, and we'll see if it works out. If it doesn't, they're in a lot of trouble, and you get to a point where Bo Horvat, JT Miller, they might be looking at maybe moving on. I'm not trying to cause any any pot stirring or anything. I don't want to... Are you breaking news right now? <laughs> yeah, but it just makes sense. They're reaching the peak or the end of their peak, maybe with JT Miller, where they've only got a few years left to try to win a cup and actually be helpful in winning a cup and have a team want to have them on their Stanley Cup playoff roster so it's a big year for the Canucks and it's a big year for the potential future of the team I do wonder if the Montreal Canadiens and their run this past year maybe set a bad precedent for teams and thinking they could just make the playoffs and have anything happen because look I know I know that's true to an extent but you also got to remember that the Tampa Bay Lightning won the Stanley Cup and they are the complete opposite of that where they were definitely going to make the playoffs and they're a team built to win the Stanley Cup as opposed to just making the playoffs. Yeah. And is it is it does it prove to be like bad for certain teams and I'll put the Canucks in this category that a team like Montreal made the playoffs because it gives you that conversation piece that Benning just mentioned of just get in and you never know what will happen. Like I, I feel I feel like a lot of people crap on that statement. Just get in, just get in, and you never know. And, yeah, that's not a great mentality to have in the sense that a mediocre team can go far. But at the same time, it's kind of true. You know, just get in. You do never know what can happen. But it shouldn't take away from you trying to build an elite team. And I don't think it does. People, I feel like, kind of just get upset when they hear general managers, especially Benning, say something like that. But his thoughts and that, I think, standpoint is actually very true because you looked at the Canucks bubble, they kind of just got in, and it was a very successful postseason. The thing is, they've got to build on that, and, and they obviously they weren't able to do that last year. Now it's about, as mentioned, getting in, making up for last year, and proving that you can be a consistent playoff team. Even if they get eliminated in the first round, to me, that's not necessarily a big deal. As a young team, they're getting experience. Obviously, a lot of people believe that they should be better by now. They should have that Stanley Cup aspiration, but that's not the reality. The reality, reality in my eyes, that is that this team needs to get that experience more often before they can finally take that next step. Yeah, and, and to me, I think the when I when I hear that phrase of "Hey, just make the playoffs and anything can happen," the the last time a team won the Stanley Cup after maybe not having a great regular season, like I guess the Blues kind of count, but I think they came in really hot where. I would probably go back to L.A. in 2012, 8th sure. seed, and then they just come in and dominate. But even then, they were a team that probably should have done better in the regular season. And they were a team that ended up you know, proving to people that they are more than just a flash of the pan. Yeah, so, so what I would say is 
making the playoffs when you're already supposed to be an elite team and maybe you don't make it as high as you should have, that's fine. And that's making the playoffs, just get in, anything can happen. That applies. But when you're a team like the Canucks, that's a fringe playoff team. I think you need to prove a little bit more that you can be a Stanley Cup contender before using that phrase. But hey, look, anything can happen. You never know. But I just, I I do think the Canadians are giving a lot of other teams hope that, hey, maybe we could be this year's Montreal Canadiens and do a little bit better than they did. You have to remember one thing is that the Canucks getting into the playoffs this year will obviously qualify as a massive success. That being said, the following year, the expectations are much higher. So if you do get into the playoffs, it's not about just getting in and everything is okay. I think you actually need to have a decent run, win around, in order for people to maintain that happiness and in order for ownership and the higher-ups in the organization to be happy with the group that they have in place. Not only the players, management, and maybe coaching staff matters as well. So it still means that they've got to get in this year, but they've got to start to show that they can be consistent a couple of years down the road. And the Canucks, obviously, with the players that they have, uh, to me, are a team that should be in that category. It is Roger Shergill. It is Josh Elliott-Wolf. Thank you so much for joining us and your interaction throughout the entire show. We are back at it, Josh and I. Same time slot tomorrow, 7 p.m. till 10 p.m. Thanks a lot to producer Joel Gaudet as well. We'll be back with you tomorrow on the official home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650.